So essentially, it's capitalistic religion for affluent folks who are circle jerking with fucking stupid food. This is Sam. Hey, what's up? This is Antonio. And this is Southpaw. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you'll help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Today on Southpaw, we have Antonio Valladares. Antonio has been around the block when it comes to fitness, health, and wellness, but he's also an independent researcher that understands fascism, white supremacy, and reactionary culture, and how it integrates itself into lifestyle cultures like music, alternative lifestyles, and health and wellness. To really deconstruct the wellness industry and self-improvement culture, you have to look at it from a historical and political lens. And that's why I wanted to have Antonio on the show. Hi, Antonio. Hey, Sam. What's up? So let's just get right to it. Let's start from when you first started noticing things about culture and perhaps even your own health. So what kind of kid were you? Well, you know, I grew up in Miami, which is a multicultural city, right? So... You know, I had a good childhood. We did all kinds of cool things in sports and fitness t- type of stuff was sort of natural or normal part of our lifestyle. You know, I did a lot of martial arts growing up and, you know, went all throughout the Caribbean, traveled around the world. I was, yeah, I was fortunate. I had a really good childhood. My mother took me around the world and, um, you know, let me do all kinds of sports. So, you know, grew up watching Kung Fu movies and I was a big fan of Bruce Lee. So I was already from a young age, I was already like I found martial arts culture very appealing. And then later when I got into yoga, it was, there's a lot of similarities, you know, it's like, it's like kind of spiritual. It's, you know what I mean? Like you, you, when you're young or new to these ideas, they seem really appealing and that's how I got into this stuff. And then, you know, it wasn't until much later on that I got like skeptical, you know. Wasn't music also a big influence in your life as a kid? Yeah. So I, I grew up playing music and, um, as a teen, I got into punk rock and, a lot of people don't really understand hardcore punk rock culture, but um, if you're familiar with politics now, it's easier to see that this is a, a new subculture that was created because you know there's a lot of reasons why people are disaffected, right? Um, so punk rock really sort of began in uh, in the UK, and when it came to America in the 80s or late 70s, it you know, in the 80s it became more hardcore. It was like a really unique American version of punk rock. 
And there was it's it's pretty varied with different cultural or or political groups represented. And what does hardcore mean? It's punk rock, but punk rock, but just more aggressive. Uh, like the music was more aggressive. It was harder. It was faster. It was just um, sort of Americanized punk rock. And there was a whole big movement within hardcore um, called Straight Edge. Straight Edge was it was like a movement against drugs and alcohol. And it's not, what's interesting is it's not new. Like the temperance movement, you know, like if you look back at the, you know, early 20th century, you see there was, you know, temperance and uh, there was a whole anti-fascist movement in Austria. These dudes were straight edge. You could say straight edge. It wasn't called straight edge back then, but it was sort of a, sort of a cultural rebellion against, um, you know, alcohol abuse or alcohol consumption. Uh, but it's it's historical. It's not a, a new thing. And um, it's sort of related to the temperance movement from the early 20th century. What was the point of the temperance movement? It's a little complex, but it was basically like religious extremists or Protestants in America that were like, um, or at least the American version of it. It existed in Europe, too. But Sort of just like, hey, we want to be healthy. We think society is degenerating. Like these are kind of eugenics concepts. But there is something to be said about you know how widespread alcohol abuse is and how well it's tolerated in society. Whereas uh, drug abuse, like America hates drug addicts and 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 alcoholics, right? America hates basically everyone. But <laughs> um, so it's a little bit more nuanced than when we were younger and we were a part of it, but it also became, you know, hardcore punk became something entirely different. Like it got really violent and a lot of these different groups got really violent and turned, there was like turned into gang culture. Just to clarify then, um, the temperance movement initially started out as this like kind of quasi Protestant, you know, religious movement from the past. And then straight edge within punk is kind of an offshoot of an attitude that had already existed within the u.s yeah yeah and like so it's historical and it's a it's a it's an interesting story of uh, how it went down and why it went down and why the government you know tried to lock down um alcohol production and so like if people want to get into the history of that it's actually pretty interesting um, but as far as it existed in hardcore punk it was just a way for people to, you know, develop community and I- ideology. And there was some like essence of morale, you know, biomorality, like, oh, you know, we're better than you. But a lot of us did it because it was a way of uh, expressing yourself in a society that, um, you know, well, there's some unhealthy things. So initially it started out trying to be something that was positive. Yeah, yeah, promoting health and community, and in, in 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 a sense, in rebellion against a culture that um you know didn't you know was didn't care about health or whatever, right? Um, and but then like towards the late eighties, like hardcore punk got really violent, and like straight edge became like there were straight edge gangs. And then it was also like the beginning of the skinhead cult, Nazi skinhead culture too. So a lot of these things changed in the late eighties. Violence almost completely destroyed the punk hardcore community. And then it was revived in the 90s. And there's a really good book on this written by Greg Graffin. It's called Anarchy Evolution. And he's the singer of a band called Bad Religion. And he's also a scientist, or I think he's a zoologist or evolutionary biologist. I forget. He's some kind of scientist or professor of, of something. Anyways, he wrote a book and he taught a science lesson about 
evolution, but he used the story of hardcore punk as a, an analogy or as a way to tell the story of science. So he details, if anyone's interested in the history of hardcore punk, it's a really good book because not only is there a good science lesson in there, but it also details the history of hardcore punk in America and how it was almost destroyed by violence. And then, you know, that was sort of the beginning of the Nazi skinhead culture that comes from punk rock. In the uh, late 60s and early 70s, um, there was a wave of Jamaican immigration that went to London and Within this wave of immigrants, there was a lot of musicians, like ska musicians, reggae musicians. So when these Jamaican immigrants came to the UK, the first people that accepted or you know bonded and, and hung out were punk rockers. And punk rock was a working class culture. Ska was initially different from punk rock. Yeah, well, it is. It is. I'm telling the story of how it became a part of punk rock, but it originally comes from Jamaica. It's actually the... Yeah, it was like, you could say, the original form of reggae. It like evolved into reggae, but it still maintained its its true essence of ska. So when it when it came to uh, the UK, um, the, you know, they, the ska dudes were called rude boys. You know, they dressed sharp. They, they, they had, you know, they had a whole style and a whole style of music. Can you give us a brief music lesson? So what is the difference between like ska and typical reggae? The main difference is like there's a there's a, a it's just a slightly more upbeat element, whereas reggae is a little bit slower. Um, there's there's a lot of similarities. Like there's there you know there's a, a horn section and there's you know, usually a big band with different instruments, but ska is a little more upbeat and danceable, whereas reggae is a little more chill and 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 bass heavy and. You know, the lyric style is a little bit different. There's some similarities. It's, you know, it was called toasting. You're like kind of rapping over music. But the what happened was when this um, when these uh, uh, when this wave of Jamaican immigration came to the UK, the ska culture and the punk rock culture of the UK, which was mostly white kids, working class white kids, they started hanging out together and they developed this ska punk culture. This was a new subculture developed in the 70s as a multicultural reality it was new and it was you know jamaican scott artists and punk rockers and the punk rockers were like skinheads and mods and suede like there was a whole cultural style so this is like the origins of ska punk in the uk and it was multicultural so skinhead came to existence after this kind of uh, integration of the two cultures it didn't exist prior to that it it did exist and it was working class yeah working class punk rock movement but the racism the nazi skinhead came later so what happened was there was a this culture started to grow and the music is phenomenal like you can listen to like i got that article i'll share you the, the share the article with you i put a whole bunch of music videos in that um article on the history of 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 skinhead I'll put it into the show notes. Yeah, so there's a bunch of uh, just absolutely wonderful music, just phenomenal music. And why did these two groups come together? Was it because they were both just kind of uh, poor or just music? Yeah, working class and yeah, working class and music. Music brought them together, but this is these are working class cultures. Uh, white punk rockers were the first ones to embrace the Jamaican immigrants, especially the ska music. Now this became a whole movement. What happened later? After this movement was developing, 
was the British far right. They saw an opportunity. Now, this is really interesting if you're familiar with what's happened in the last few years with the alt-right and all these dudes. So what happened was the far right saw an opportunity to recruit, right, in punk rock. So what they did was they started dressing like the skinheads. But then, so in other words, they appropriated the skinhead aesthetic and then started preaching their hate and their you know right-wing political bullshit. So the far right, took the skinhead look adopted it and started hanging out in punk rock and the they actually influenced the singer of one big band who then became a nazi skinhead band but that was the beginning of the nazi skinhead movement and from there it continued to grow so a lot of us were hardcore kids and we dressed like skinheads this was a whole culture but as soon as the nazi skinhead thing started to grow shows got violent and everyone was like, oh my God, skinheads are all Nazis. So a lot of us stopped dressing like skinheads, stopped wearing Doc Martens and stuff because it was just, it became a big thing and it was all violent and gross and stupid. And it almost ruined uh, punk rock. They just fought, they would just come to shows. There would be fighting and violence all the time. That's what happened. There's a history of Nazi skinheads. The original skinheads were multicultural, anti-racist. Then the far right, took over the you know co-opted or you know um appropriated the look the 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 imagery the the this is a big thing optics and aesthetics is big for fascism so that's what happened over time the skinhead movement continued to grow um and then it grew into what it became in the 90s which is you know a whole bunch of gangs there's there's prison gangs there's street gangs there's different groups or clubs or organizations and so that is what happened to um, that's the origin of skinhead culture. Did the aesthetic of skinhead culture kind of become homogenized over time? Of course, not diverse anymore, but also like the look like was it always just about like shaving the head or were there also different looks? There was different looks and different subcultures. So if you ever see like the who quadrophenia, like that's all there was different groups that hung out together. So all the dudes, if you've ever been to San Francisco and you see all the dudes riding the gangs of uh, Vespa riders, like that all comes from the same thing. You know, those were like mods. They dressed, had a style. Um, so there, there were suede heads. There were punkers. There were new age or not new age, new wave and gothic. So this was all considered alternative music or underground music. And there were different groups or cultures or you know, genres or styles that hung out together because it was all alternative for, you know, to the mainstream, right? So then after the Nazi skinhead started to really grow and take off, a lot of people, there were there was an organization called Sharp Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice that began and there was a lot of violence, dude. Me and my friends beat the shit out of Nazi skinheads all over the country. I, I went to Ohio State University for a little bit and um, I was in a band and, you know, I, dude, I cleaned that, town up until i left town and then they just come right back you know what i mean and we call them boneheads because they're you know big dummies and violent and you know they never had any respect they almost ruined punk rock and you were alluding to something earlier where you said you see this kind of thing now with fascism and alternative lifestyles where like fascism is infiltrating certain alternative groups and trying to turn them fascist yeah well look at in the last few years, look what happened with the alt-right. So what happened was around 2010-ish, uh, this new 
uh, right wing culture of young racist was developing, but they were like hipsters. They weren't dressing like skinheads anymore. And a big part of this is Gavin McInnes. He was, you know, he was one of the first ones to sort of create this hipster, racist, hipster, um, you know, archetype or personality. So um, Richard Spencer basically started alt right in 2010 ish. Not it's a little more detailed, but whatever. Um, and then all of that coalesced with the 4chan, like the Reddit, like all the, the, the internet subcultures, all of that grew together. And a big part of that was dressing like hipsters or being normal to be accepted so that they could then push their extreme ideas more into the mainstream. So Gab McKinnis is like the founder of hipster racism. And um, he was a, he was actually a hardcore punk kid from Canada when he came to New York city and did vice. Like he, there's no one in New York hardcore that knows him. Nobody likes him. He has no friends. He's not a, like a legitimate hardcore punk dude. He was for a minute. And then his whole claim to fame was, Oh, I'm the hipster punker. And he hung out with all these celebrities and TV personalities in the nineties. And nobody, no one in New York hardcore is down with this dude. And he so in, in other words, he he exploited his you know so called punk personality to you know to sort of you know generate his career like that. So that's sort of what happened with the aesthetic was you couldn't be a Nazi skinhead anymore because it, everyone knew who you were, but you could dress like a hipster in a plaid shirt and a you know tight black pants or whatever. And all of this, most of this is uh, due to Gab McInnes. Uh, he's the original hipster um, scumbag, hipster racist or whatever. And there's other things, too. Like, how did the skinheads get such wide acceptance into punk was part of that was fucking liberals. Um, like the liberal, like Malcolm McLaren, like liberal rich dudes were like, oh, let's wear swastikas because it's controversial, like for fun. And that actually helped um the 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 growth of of racist skinheads because like you see pictures of like the sex pistols and um sometimes you'll see pictures of sid vicious like nobody fucking likes well i shouldn't say that i don't i was never a fan of that dude or even a huge fan of sex pistols but this is what liberals did they were like let's be controversial let's be um you know let's uh piss off the yuppies or whatever by wearing swastikas and being rebellious like it was so fucking vapid typical liberal bullshit and that actually helped the skinheads get acceptance into the punk culture so that's an important part of the story because there's a lot of similarities to what's happening in the last few years so when you mentioned malcolm mclaren he was the uh, promoter right for sex pistols yeah jacobin wrote an article a big article on the history of punk and they mentioned this but they got that part wrong rebellion they talked about the safety pins that people wore as a a sort of a symbol of rebellion and also um they got the part wrong on swastikas that actually helped uh grow the skinhead culture in punk rock because they thought they were being edgy or whatever but anyway so that's in the last few years what's happened is you had right-wing extremists um making their way into mainstream society and trying to push their extreme get their ideas uh, more mainstream or more welcomed and part of that was the aesthetics of looking like a hipster, being normal or whatever. So culture then has always been an important part of uh, fascism as far as like a recruiting tool. 
yeah, culture and there's a lot of things they do to grow the movement. Aesthetics or optics is a big one. How it looks, um, the aesthetics. And what's interesting with Nazi um, or Italian or just fascist aesthetics in general is um, the male body, the fit male, the ideal male body or the, the, the Nazi male aesthetic. So whenever you see all these Im- the imagery of Nazi Germany with all the dudes who all look the same and are all doing gymnastics. So this, this, that's a lot of that's aesthetics and that actually most of it comes from one dude. <laughs> and that was his whole thing was he created gymnastics routines that were very aesthetically pleasing and, you know, the conformity and all these things are a part of it. So aesthetics is a big part of fascism and also the buy-in to uh, uh, fascism is make it aesthetically appealing. Who's this one dude? Um, this one dude was a, during the um, late 19th century or early 20th century, the fitness culture was a really big thing globally. But there was one particular dude, uh, a Danish gymnast. That Gymnast was the thing, right? That was the main physical culture thing. They were gymnasts. And then the strong man came after and then, you know, bodybuilding came after. But they were it was mostly f- physical culture it was mostly gymnasts and they were mostly europeans and these are the people that originated massage therapy physical therapy uh, gymnastics routines body weight routines but also the gymnastics equipment you know the horse and the 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 the, the, you know, the bars and the rings all that stuff so this these dudes were most of these dudes were fucking white supremacists and you, know, you hardly ever hear about that you know, you hear about, oh, well, he developed, uh, you know, the, the massage and the, the fitness routines and it was good. Dude, these the fitness routines were explicit, uh, you know, routine of the fitness was used explicitly to develop soldiers. The fitness communities, the, these fitness groups, they were political groups. And the original people who started this, these were they, they were designed to produce soldiers or ideal citizens. So fitness was used kind of like a propaganda tool. Uh, to develop, to serve the state. You were working out to serve the state, not for your own health or well-being or fitness or sports or whatever. And that was the main thing with fitness and the origin of fitness culture. So you look at the people who were mostly, you know, the most significant people, and this is a big part of it, uh, of, of the fitness routines. Um, they were designed to produce soldiers and citizens who serve the state. <clears throat> so this guy, there's a Danish guy, um neil's book and he did some really good stuff but what he did was he made the popular gymnastics a bit more aesthetically pleasing and it's a little complex because he added this homoerotic component to it but what he did was he produced the fitness routines that were being used to create soldiers and he worked with right-wing authoritarian uh, uh, uh governments around the world so in the 1930s, this particular dude, he not only worked with Nazi Germany and, you know, was praised by Hitler, yada, yada, yada. He also went around the world to do the same thing. He went to South America. He went to different parts of Asia. So he brought not fitness for the sake of fitness, but fitness for developing soldiers or ideal citizens. And fitness was just a part of creating that. So the male aesthetic that you see with fascism, like all the uh, gymnastic stuff, like most of that comes from the most of it comes from uh Father John, early nineteenth um century. But this Danish dude, um uh, Niels Book, is um largely responsible for spreading fitness as fascism. 
around the globe. And he was actually really influential in a lot of ways. And his story is fascinating. Like he was in a closet um, because you had to be in the closet at the time you get fucking killed. That's still common, right? Closeted homosexuality within fascism. There's actually a lot of research on this. This dude was such a fucking Nazi that the Danish Nazi, he didn't even like the Danish Nazi party. He was like the Danish Nazi party. Those dudes are soft. I'm down with the original Nazi Germany party. <laughs> and so he he tremendously influential for creating this uh, aesthetic, the, 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 the fascist body aesthetic and, um, and the fitness routines. But um, there's one dude, if anyone's inter interested in learning more about him, there is one researcher. His name is Hans Bond, B-O-N-D-E. And he's written the best material on this topic, hands down. On that map, there's another person involved who may have been closet uh, homosexual or bi, but it's a bit speculative. So I don't really care to you know, speculate, but it's quite possible that this other very influential dude um, may have been gay and or bi. But the, re the, the issue, the, the, I think the main point is why is because, well, you had to be in the closet or these, the, you know, fat, the Nazi Germany would you know, fucking kill you. And there were leftists in, in Denmark that were like, oh, maybe we should rat him out. I'm talking about the first guy, Neil's book. Um, the, the, the leftists were like, maybe we should rat him out so we can get him to stop spreading fascism. And then they were like, at the last minute, they were like, no, if we rat him out, if we expose him, they might kill him. So the leftists had a debate about, should we expose him to help stop fascism? And they were like, yeah, we should do this because there's nothing else they could do. And then at the end, last minute, they're like, no, we shouldn't do this because what if they kill him? Then we would be responsible. So there's some really interesting history there. And when people write about the history of fitness, you'll hear about these guys like Eugene Sandow. But you hear mostly that he did some really cool fitness training stuff, which is true. Like, you know, strongman stuff was popular. He sort of, you know, Eugene Sandow sort of created uh, uh fitness for aesthetics you know bodybuilding and um lifting or, or strength training for the sake of strength training so he did some really interesting stuff along the way some very influential stuff and all the exercise stuff is is great like if you want to learn you know like dope training just you can look at the strongman stuff um, or the early fitness culture stuff. But when you go deeper, you see that fitness culture was also used to spread eugenics and fascism around the world. And not a lot of people talk about Eugene Sandow, but this dude trained the British military. He um, brought eugenics around the world, all over the world. So part of not the fitness culture, <clears throat> excuse me, not just the fitness part, a fitness culture, but all the lessons about health. A lot of this is eugenics, and it's it sounds appealing at first. You're like, oh yeah, it's health and wellness, yada yada. But when you really um, understand it, when you if you have a critical approach and you really examine it, look deeper into this material that's harder to find, you start to see a bigger picture emerge. So that's not too different from what this one guy uh, Jack Donovan is doing in Portland, right? He's he doesn't call himself homosexual. He's an androsexual. And that's something also the so far my, right. My, yeah, my opinion is that dude, like several other dudes, are mostly... Remember, optics or aesthetics are important. These dudes are full of fucking shit. And people need to be honest about that. Like, that dude is not bright. He just... Have you read his stuff? Like, it's all, it's all like, for show. Performance art was also created at the same... Not created, but it was a big part of fitness culture. Performance art is a big part of this. Entertainment. All of these dudes come from entertainment. 
So whenever these dudes put on shows or do talks or write books, a lot of this is performative. They're doing it specifically to appeal to or to attract and to spread their ideas as opposed to just being a sincere teacher or trying to teach somebody. You know what I mean? So like Jack Donovan, that dude's not bright. He's just acting tough for a bunch of insecure losers who feel the need to, <clears throat> you know, like, oh, I need a leader. Like this dude's bringing people together. Like those dudes who follow him are confused. They don't understand gender or sexuality issues. They're just big fucking dummies. So Jack Donovan is a fucking clown. And most of this is they're doing it because of you know, the, they get, you know, either financially rewarded, there's social capital involved, you have a, a community. So there's different reasons. Let me just explain to the listeners who Jack Donovan is, just in case they don't know. He is actually a self-avowed white nationalist. He proudly uses that moniker. He's based out of uh, Oregon. And uh, his whole thing was about masculinity, white nationalism, far right. And he was saying... He's trying to spread the message of a type of homosexuality where he's trying to say homosexuality is like the greatest sign of masculinity, right? Where you're like, you hate women so much. They're so beneath you that you should only, you know, have sex or do sexual acts with other men. You should only talk to other men. You should only uh, sexually enjoy other men. This is the true sign of masculinity. That's the way he sells it. Yeah. So here's the thing. So ma th this whole idea of a crisis of masculinity, like this also, this is not new. This also comes from fascism, right? So this is actually a big part of like the turn of the century, late 19th century, early 20th century. Like this is a big part of eugenics. This is a narrative that comes out of eugenics based on this, this, this idea of uh, you know, what they call um, like the theory of degeneration, right? Like, so everyone is degenerating and, 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 and most of the, the, the masculinity is a straight up insecure bullshit from dudes who are afraid of women getting more power. So you have to understand the time frame. late 19th century, early 20th century, women were becoming more and more uh, liberated, right? Or, or, or empowered in society because, society was going through changes these dudes were afraid of women getting power of voting and getting out of the house not being a, a, a you know a subservient uh playing a role right so these issues this so-called crisis of masculinity this is propaganda it's based on anti-feminism and more important people need to notice is all of the masculinity stuff that came out of this time frame which all these dudes these days they're just repeating those ideas none of this stuff is new like a lot of that stuff is fear of immigration. It's both fear of women and fear of immigration. These dudes are just dumbass racist, but they have to dress it up. Oh, there's a crisis in masculinity. Men can't be men anymore. They're getting soft. Dude, the, the whole thing is propaganda and it's not new. It's been around for a long time. So the more people understand history, the easier it is to understand the current era. That's true with fitness and nutrition or wellness um, and politics and fascism. So these dudes, Jack Donovan is just one dude. He's down with the Wolves of Vin. These different, these are gangs. These are just straight up fucking gangs of fitness losers. They need an ideology in a community. People need to stop being like so sympathetic to these people. A lot of these fitness dudes that joined or that started following the alt-light and the alt-right and all these cats, like these aren't poor white kids from the country. And people need to realize this. The, the, all these personal trainers and physicians, massage therapists, chiropractors, all these dudes started following the, the, the new right wing culture. Like they're not poor kids from the country. 
live in Appalachia. No, these are affluent middle class kids um, that are personal trainers. They just have like some deep seated misogyny and other unexamined conservative reactionary bias. Jack Donovan is an ideologue, a demagogue, someone who's trying to be an influencer, and they're taking advantage of young dudes who don't know what's going on. And there is a small element of empathy needed in the story. Like, okay, they are exploiting young dudes, young men, vulnerable young dudes in fitness. They're exploiting the hell out of them. And those kids or the young people need to understand if they are poor or disaffected or have some issues. You know, they need to learn why these things are happening, not learn from these ideologues who are indoctrinating them into some bullshit. You know, the fear of masculinity is no. What it really is, is that gay people don't have to live in a closet anymore and women uh, can vote and shit like that. Like it has nothing to do with there's no crisis in masculinity, you fucking losers. So for listeners, how masculinity connects to nationalism and anti-immigration is this idea that non-white men are stealing your masculinity. And to reclaim it, you have to become a super soldier who protects the nation, protects your race, protects white women from non-whites. And you also have to protect the women from themselves. And you have to also protect yourself from the women who are trying to emasculate you. The, the masculinity stuff, most of the stuff is made up. And it was the, the, the stuff was, you know, nationalism and uh, like as narcissistic, um, you know, personality. A lot of these things came together at the same time. Going back to what you were saying about gymnastics also, I was talking to a parkour instructor, it's a woman, and she was talking about how that's happening now with gymnastics and parkour, where they're trying to co-opt and kind of privatize parkour because parkour started out as kind of a, a street sport, you know, in urban dwellings, and they're trying to turn it into this natural return to earth, kind of like Ubermensch, we're going to make it this aesthetic sport, you know? Yeah, all of that comes from, first of all, here's a way to to identify this stuff. Is there a nostalgia <clears throat> for a mythical past? That's the first thing. Nostalgia for a mythical past. <clears throat> it's all in fitness. Um, it's a big part of fascism. And in fact, the guy I was mentioning before, Eugene Sandow, he, um, this is one of the things he instituted or th things he's responsible for was taking the Grecian ideal, right, and reviving it as part of masculinity and fitness culture and entrepreneurship and performance art, all of these things came together. He took the Grecian ideal and really made it a thing. He's responsible for creating, well, not him, but the people he worked with. He was friends with Francis Galton. He, you know, he worked with the, the, the trained soldiers uh, throughout the British Raj. Dude would collect natives from wherever he went and brought him on his world tour like a human zoo. That's all that was. That was a, was a traveling human zoo. And people think that, oh, because he did fitness, everyone thinks that if you're involved in fitness or wellness, that you're special or spiritual or, or kind. Yeah, no, it's, it's such an illusion, such an incredible, like widespread, powerful illusion. So a lot of these things come from that time frame. That's why this time frame is important. You understand the history of wellness and diet culture. Um, like the history of fitness is fine. Like the training stuff, like we, we could talk all about this, the, the, the fascism and all the other stuff and the wellness culture, the actual fitness stuff is fine. So we're not actually talking about training. We're talking about everything else that comes with it. All of this stuff, the wellness, the diet culture, all of this, this is a constellation of ideas and beliefs that are attached to, you know, working out or dieting or whatever. 
And you look at the history of it and it explains all of it. It makes much more sense when you understand the history. So, yeah. So anyways, all those dudes, like the dudes we just mentioned, like Jack Donovan, Roosevelt, all these, these are like probably not that influential. There are other people who have more influence who just started working with Jack Donovan and the alt-right, alt-light guys. So that whole culture is growing. It's going to continue to grow. And you know, almost nobody knows anything about it or cares about it because they're fitness people are they're cowards. They're like, you know, afraid to talk about this stuff. Or they're totally down with them. Either way, one way or the other. Either they're down, they don't they're cool with them. Look at all these uh IDW, the intellectual dork web dudes and fucking Jordan Peterson and Jordan, all these fanboys. Like they have no problem with white supremacy. And they're all into these 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 dudes are like modern day demagogues, right? A lot of this stuff is really popular in fitness culture and um, ideas. Of, all the ideas are eugenics, you know, fear of degeneration. Also like of a master race. Yeah. Well, the master race now and said, so Nazi Germany just sort of took a lot of these ideas to their extreme end, but these ideas still exist. So those so-called master race now it's fucking wellness, dude. Wellness is, is now it's a, it's mostly a status symbol. It's it's like a, a, a cultural force. So it's more like a master class where you have a certain status, a station in society, and that's the master race now. And a lot of it's because it's all status symbol, but it, there's a there's like a facade or a patina. There's, it's like the Gilded Age. Like, it looks pretty and wonderful. And yeah, they're lean and they're conventionally you know attractive women who all wear Lululemon. It, that is the bias, right? If it looks pretty, it must be good. It must be virtuous. Yeah, it's an assumption. There's a lot of... Uh, assumptions on this stuff and that's one of them is if somebody is lean or pretty <clears throat> then they've got social power whether they're whether they're you know smart or <clears throat> whether they contribute to society or whatever like you can have look at bodybuilding is so popular fitness is so popular some of these people are profoundly unhealthy but because they look a certain way that they've got social capital is power and looking like some of these bodybuilders are extremely unhealthy. This is my industry for the last 20 years. And some of my buddies, these dudes been doing steroids for 20 years. I actually don't care if you use drugs. I do not care. But if you're using covertly, there's a whole covert steroid culture. They do drugs, multiple types of drugs. Some of them don't even work, but some of them do. And people are like, oh, my God, he's so dedicated. Dude, he's been using drugs for 20 years and he has a lifestyle where he can spend four hours in the gym six, seven days a week. Privileged. Right. Plus, he's probably got some good genetics. Yeah. So how did you notice that fitness, wellness and health and politics were interrelated? I didn't realize it until much later on. Like, I think the, f the first thing was I wanted to understand why a lot of the diet culture wellness stuff, the why the language is religious. So when people talk about dieting or weight loss, you hear this all the time. Indulgent, sinful. Oh, I'm going to be bad. like there's it's like hyperbole or, or sarcasm about religious sinful ideas. And this is really common. Um, these ideas are not just popular in wellness or fitness. They're really widespread throughout popular culture. They're institutionalized. You know, I did yoga. I went to India. I lived in India. Like I, I used to be really into it. I was a vegetarian for 18 years. Then over time, you get a little more skeptical. I started eating meat. I started learning about Red Weston A. Price. And you start learning that, you know, you know, different diets around the world. You know, none of them were vegan, yada, yada, yada. 
once you start learning this stuff, you actually start embracing ideas. The eugenics ideas are built into all of this stuff. So anybody can get into health and well-being. There's, you know, there's books and magazines and stuff all over the documentaries. There's, it's easy to get into this stuff. And a lot of these eugenics ideas are, you know, is where these ideas come from. And they're built into the, the ideology and the conversations and the narratives. So over time, I wanted to understand how come everyone talks like this is a religious issue. And then you look at the origin. Well, all of this stuff comes from religious extremists and eugenics of uh, like 19th century. The you know, two of the most significant influences in all of this stuff. These dudes were religious extremists. And I say extremists because they did some extreme stuff in the name of like there was a big Protestant growth in America in the early 19th century. And a lot of most of the wellness stuff comes from this movement. It was like a Protestant revival across the country. And here's something really interesting, too, is at that time, things were changing. So this was the Industrial Revolution. People were living uh, in rural communities and there were small local communities and, you know, people interact or in, in, interacted with each other in, in like friendly uh, uh, personal ways <clears throat> with the advent of the industrial um, revolution and also like the you know the, the the mill and these food processing things you had to feed more people so one of the changes that was happening at the time was the industrial food production so some of these people were concerned the the leaders the fitness religious sorry the religious and health leaders they were genuinely concerned with hey here are some changes that are not good for society we're losing touch with each other and becoming more automated and industrialized. So there are some sincere issues. So Sylvester Graham is tremendously influential in all this stuff. And, you know, he was a, a religious extremist and he had genuine concerns for humanity. We're losing touch. We're losing our personal touch. And now food is, <clears throat> excuse me, food is coming from factories and you don't work together anymore. There's no artisanal interaction with local shop owners, yada, 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 right? So they had some legitimate concerns. Um, but that was then. This is now. So y'all don't live. All these health and wellness fitness dudes, like you don't live in the fucking woods, number one. And you don't live at the, the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. So all these paleo and primal and ancestral ideas, most of these, this is just bougie fucking white you know, libertarian right-wing fantasy. It's like you know, the nostalgia for a past. Yeah, okay, you can have nostalgia if you want, but dude, you know, it's it's you know, it's 2020 or whatever. So that's why I, I wanted to look up why is there like this the body became like there were significant changes back then. This is when sin became biologized. Like they took fasting from religion and they turned it into entrepreneurship and self-help and health and longevity like they took ideas one of these ideas like i said fasting another one was um taking religion and converting religious experience into the body so instead of just being religious in terms of um of of you know um congregation and prayer and, and song or community the body became a site for religious conversion so the body was sanctified. The the sin was this is when dehumanizing or, or, or mocking, you know, fat bodies already was kind of happening. Most of it's racist. But what happened was they then connected fat bodies with sin. 
and fit bodies with like redemption. Like here's your way of being of you can be redempt. You can have redemption. Now there's your cover for racism, right? You're not being racist. You're just against sin. Correct. Correct. And at that time, after the industrial, because of the industrial revolution, there was a new middle class that was created, right? So people had more leisure time and more disposable income and, uh, and more time to navel gaze and circle jerk about being a fucking fitness weight loss dude or whatever. So this is the, the, the creation of wellness culture comes from a new middle class. And it's the same thing now It's basically affluent people circle jerking and giving advice for other people. And everyone else is learning that this is what you should do or you should follow and this is bad because you have people who have absolutely no understanding of how the rest of the world lives, but they're giving advice on, or prescriptions on how you should believe and behave and live. So that's part of the problem is that all health and wellness culture comes from an affluent, a newly created middle class. And so the same thing now, this is why people criticize wellness now. The best articles on wellness and health and wellness, the best in the last five years or whatever have not come from the industry. There is literally one person, one person, this is a $4 trillion global wellness economy. There is one person who has written or reported on all this stuff we're talking about, one person. And that's important to understand because this whole industry has stayed silent during this historical moment in these last few years, not only stayed silent, but there's been a warm embrace by the fitness industry, not just the fitness culture, but actual industry, contemporary industry professionals who have now embraced the alt-light, alt-right, um, this new reactionary culture. Like there's different groups, right? Like the IDW, the alt-light, alt-right, all these different right-wing reactionary types, like the fitness industry just sucked it up. Um, in the last few years, only one you know, for all practical purposes, one dude has written about this and that's important to understand. So then once you understand that, you should know, and whoever's listening, you should know that wellness industry doesn't give a fuck about you. If you're not already fit, you're not part of the, the, the elite citizen. It's just, it's, it's when people get into wellness, it's a, mostly now, mostly now it's a status symbol. It's a community, it's a culture, it's an ideology, and they don't understand it. They're just drawn to it. Um, there's no critical understanding. But the last few years, you know, nobody said a thing. So that's important for people to know. The ideas of dehumanizing fat bodies or disabled, uh, 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 black, Latino, like all the like soft racism and stuff. And all of this is eugenics and it's all built into wellness. And there's only a couple of people that spoke up about it and you get harassed or trolled or whatever by these losers, um, you know if you speak up. So one person has been the only person, James fell. Now I'll give a, I don't give a rat's ass whether you like him or not. I don't care. The dude is the only responsible party in this stupid $4 trillion economy who has written and very few people are concerned. That culture is continuing to grow. That right-wing extremist culture and fitness is growing unopposed and that should tell you a lot about this whole wellness culture and, and the uh, the ideology. Like other people, I think could do it better than him, but it doesn't matter because he's the only one willing to speak up. Nobody, yeah. Because I I would even say he's as far left or anti-fascist as you, but it doesn't matter because he's the only one writing for big publications, right? Yeah, exactly. So the only person who has any sort of reach and who has any sort of reasonable 
understanding of this uh, fitness wellness culture stuff. He's the only one. And throughout the last few years, this industry has been silent. And and the whole Joe Rogan bro culture, like y'all can get the fuck out of here. (laughs) He built the career for some of the biggest right wing frauds, like really launched a career or at least supported the career. Gavin McInnes and Proud Boy. Look at who he has promoted. Tim Pool, fucking fraud, liar, little lion ass, little shithead. Dude's lucky I didn't smack the shit out of him when I met him. <laughs> and he lied about me. He he worked for Cern. He did a he get, did a big promotional piece for Cernovich. He lied about me. I'm a I'm I'm gonna see him next time he's in the city. Um, Cernovich and Gavin McInnes are two of the most significant re uh, influencers for the violence in the last five years or whatever. Those are two. Two, not the only two, but two of the people who incited political violence. All the shit you see now, like the stuff Andy. No, Andy, no. These dudes are liars. They're propagandists. They're young and they're rookies. They're not that good. They're not that deep. I know they're all like trying to do, you know, alpha brain, no tropics and, you know, do jur- ayahuasca journeys and whatnot. These are reactionaries. They're bros. They're not that deep. They not very self-aware. And. A lot of them are not aware of their conservative bias or their, you know, look at Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson promoting racist. And and they're like, oh, well, we don't believe in that. Dude, shut the fuck up. Fucking liar. Yeah. Dawkins again the other day talking about eugenics and defending it. Right. So, yeah. And there's some controversy. There's there's so there's some good stuff, actually, that has come out in response to that. So people are like opening their eyes to shit. Yeah, well, I think that eugenics is really popular, widespread, and very few people um, have uh, spoken out about it. So the other day when Dawkins did said something, like he's, I don't, I'm not a fan of that dude, but he said something and then some people are like defending it. They're like, oh, well, Dawkins didn't say it was good. Yeah, dude, if you're on, if you have that kind of reach, you have that influence and you get on social media and say something like, Oh, you know, they're playing dumb, dude. They're acting like that. Oh, I didn't mean to say it that way. No, nah, dude, you, that's exactly what you did. And you don't have to nowadays. You don't have to be explicit because you know the power that you have in saying stuff like that. So when they play dumb or like, oh, I didn't mean to say it was morally good or I endorse it or whatever. I don't actually believe a lot of these dudes. It's a dog whistle. Yeah, <clears throat> it is. And um, these ideas are already in widespread in the in, in, in within the wellness fitness ideology like there's you can look at these marketing guys business guys or the the, the self-help type of coaches and a lot of these ideas are based in eugenics like uh, degeneration theory you know uh, people who are poor because they're lazy or stupid or whatever fat you know fat bodies are lazy and stupid it's not really well thought out by a lot of the bros but the leaders or the influencers like dawkins i think that i don't actually believe them i think that they actually they know what they're doing they're taunting they're trolling you know trolling is also historical and it comes from the same stupid time frame not not entirely but when you look at the history of wellness and fitness culture like trolling is also a part of this culture if you look at the history of like pt barnum what he did was like he was trolling he trolled the media this is before um like yellow journalism like if you look at the history of american media or whatever you see like hearst publications were some of the uh, first biggest publishers 
they actually stoked the Spanish American War. They were doing they were trolling people to get an emotional reaction. <clears throat> the, 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 the trolling that we see now, a big part of it, I mean, it's actually historical, goes back to Greco Roman culture, but like Diogenes, I think Diogenes used to like shit in the public square or masturbate in the public square just to like get a reaction. So that's taunting. That's what that is. Trolling is a few different things, but taunting people just so you can get an emotional reaction <clears throat> so you can make fun of them or dismiss them. That's tro- that's one aspect of trolling. The disciplic succession goes from Diogenes. There's probably more, but it goes from Diogenes to P.T. Barnum to Ryan Holiday to fucking Weave and Cernovich and this whole new right wing reactionary culture online. Like this is people need to know this. What did you say? Weave? Weave, yeah. Weave is a neo-Nazi who is is like a 4chan uh, uh, influencer. Um, he's one of the reasons why the all the the, the uh, of the trolling in the last few years. So when these dudes troll, they're provoking or taunting. They're doing something deliberately so they can get a reaction and then mock or dismiss or make fun of the person they just trolled. So in other words. If there's a bully in the schoolyard and he's walking up to a small kid poking his finger saying, don't touch me. If you touch me, I'm going to kick your ass. Don't touch me. You touch me, I'm going to kick your ass and pointing and pointing and then finally poking the little kid. That's what trolling is. It's it's, It's deliberately provoking to get a reaction so that you can then shit on that person. These dudes are not good people that do this. They're they're They have no sense of 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 public welfare or public health or you know anything like this they're they're just bullies that's all they are they're bullies it's important to understand trolling from a historical perspective like i said pt barnum was he was a one of the first major trolls and he um would troll the media to get a reaction so that people would come by his shit dude was deeply fucking racist and you know some people do over time they change a little bit but you need to recognize like the american history like a lot of this stuff is not really talked about it's kind of covered over or you just don't learn in, you know, details of the stuff but anyway so that was a part of it trolling or doing public uh displays um for um to get some benefit like to get more people to buy your stuff charlatans also comes from this time frame charlatan comes from the renaissance but the idea of a health and wellness expert selling some alternative health thing that's a sim- similar thing is they would have these uh, demonstrations. Hey, come by my thing. It'll make you healthy. It'll cure your disease. They would have people in the audience pretending to be <clears throat> interested, right? So a lot of this is deceptive. It's performance art. It comes from, uh, the big part of it comes from this history when all of these things sort of came together at the turn of the century. Something you said that was interesting was that sin is biologized. And it reminded me of my conversation with Ronald Purser, where we were talking about mindfulness and, and how mindfulness was medicalized, right? So sin is biologized. Mindfulness became medicalized. That's all eugenics talk. Uh, Michel Foucault talks about the medical gaze or seeing the person as a patient perpetually. And when you do that, you have solutions to sell them and also ways of manipulation or control. So this is actually what's going on in fitness right now. And it's, this is, this is wild because I used to believe these things. So you learn how to assess or, or, or test for posture and, and different parameters of there's different variables in fitness that you can test and some things you can develop over time. You know, you want to get faster, stronger, more endurance, whatever. 
with the advent of industrial mechanized culture and the, the beginning of modern medicine, you now have new ways of looking at the body or, um, you know, taking ideas and inserting them into the consciousness of the people. So look at what happens in fitness today. Corrective exercise and, and the focus on posture. I was one of the I did this in 2001. Me and my friends were, were you know, check practitioners and, um, you know, we did all kinds of orthopedic assessments and you look at posture and these are all ways of shaming people's bodies with very little truth or reality in it, right? So most posture, the the fascination with it now, these are ways of shaming people. Um, there's almost no correlation between poor posture and pain. Most of the focus on posture is overstated. Most of it comes from this idea of, of not just medicalizing the body, but also manipulating and trying to control um, the majority of people have normal posture. There are the, the variations in posture is normal, um, but we've pathologized the body in a few different ways. And if, you know, like we used to do, I used to do a lot of fitness uh, assessments, evaluations and testing and measurements, but a lot of it is completely unnecessary. And all they are are ways of shaming the body. You're not good enough. You're too fat. You're disabled. Your posture is not good. It's not optimal. These are ways of shaming people, and then you will then buy into, I have a corrective exercise program that will fix your posture. It's grading bodies like a piece of meat, right? You're measuring, you're weighing, you're grading the quality of the meat. It's, It's fucked up if you think about it. No, I agree. Totally. It is. It's really unhealthy and it's built into the fitness and wellness ideology. It's hard to, it's hard for people to see this, but a lot of these ideas really come from the whole posture thing and anthropo- the, 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 the whole idea of measuring the body, <clears throat> finding ideals and standards or, or you know, creating these normal and deviant categories all comes from eugenics. Like phrenology, right? People just think of it as a pseudoscience, but even in high school, I learned about its inherent racism because what they used as the standard was this idealized Western head, right? And they used it to prove how Black Americans, African Americans were inferior to Westerners. But this wasn't the only type of pseudoscience, race science. Like you're mentioning, everything that we're measuring, what's the standard? And it's always some idealized, wealthy, skinny, white Western body. And so not only is it eugenics as far as racist, but it's also eugenics in the broader sense, which is about degeneration, right? That people who have disabilities, they're degenerates. People who have Down syndrome, degenerates. People who are short, degenerates. Little people, degenerates. So it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's not just a master race, but even within the master race, it's a master class. Yeah, it's and it was a big part of fitness culture. When Eugene Sandow t- toured the world selling his fitness stuff, um, there was all sorts of these um, um, anthropometry, uh, the ways of measuring the body, right, for ideal. Um, and then he also established the ideal male body, the perfect male body. And a lot of this was established using theater or performance art as well as politics and science. But it was a big time at this time you know medicalizing the body pathologizing the body um you know making the the the, these normal variations considered bad or sinful or whatever all of this comes from the same time frame and it's very interesting time frame because this is the origin of this stuff and it makes a 
uh, uh, it's easier to understand what's happening now if you understand the origin of the stuff. So yeah, so most of the focus on posture is overstated. The the there's very little uh, correlation between pain and posture. Um, it's mostly an aesthetic preference. These are socially imposed ideas. People don't seem to understand that there are you could have individual goals and desires or aspirations, but a lot of these ideas are actually socially imposed. Like posture is the perfect example. Um, so I've worked with athletes and regular clients and, you know, you can improve your performance. You can lose weight or gain weight. You can build strength, yada, yada, yada. There are some things you can do. Yes. Um, but the fascination with, you know, transformation and optimization, like this shit is just fucking absurd. But some of these ideas or goals can be legitimate. Oh, I want to get stronger. I want to you know run faster. Um, <clears throat> I want to reduce pain. But then a lot of these ideas or aspirations are socially imposed and not just through pressures, but also ideas like, oh, if you do wellness lifestyle, you're special, you're moral, you're spiritual. So people are pursuing these ideas because of the, the, the ideas that are already existing within society um, and the pressures and, the, and the, the ideals or standards. It's petite bourgeoisie, right? It's like people who feel like they're in a lower station or it's all methods of trying to get to a higher station and you're trying to adopt all the aesthetics and the norms of the culture of the class above you. Yeah. And some of that did happen. Like there was social mobility back then. Cause remember there's a new middle class and there was a new entrepreneur class. So there were people that had, there's two points I want to make here. That's important. There, there, there was some social mobility. Some people can lose weight, but the idea that it's absolute or applied universally, that's not true. That's a problem. So not everyone can have a transformation. Not everyone can have social mobility. Some people uh, don't have the same realities as, you know, privileged folks, right? How do you, what kind of context must you have to have these, to create or establish these body standards, these ideals, uh, the, these lifestyles where you can work out and, you know, eat organic, whatever the fuck, right? So the only way to do this is you have to fucking steal the land from all the indigenous people. You have to imprison them or put them on prisoner of war camps, um, take the children and put them into uh, to, in, in the, the colonial, the, the residential school system to destroy their identity. You have to uh, have a whole country of um, you know, black folks that were being lynched and, and, and tortured or oppressed and also laws preventing um, marriage and voting, and you have a whole reality that is not well understood or recognized in this country. You can't have the ideal standard body, the fitness dude, without understanding the context of the culture at the time. <clears throat> you know, you have to, um, you have to uh, uh, not allow immigrants in because you're fucking racist. A, a lot of these eugenicists influenced. Um, Jim Crow laws, immigration laws, these all influence Nazi Germany, Nuremberg laws, number one. Um, but you can't have the ideal male body and all these performances and establish this ideal without erasing everyone else in the country, mostly brown and black folk or native folk. So that's an important part. You cannot have this wellness culture without understanding the context of where it comes from, creating a new middle class and this new way of being religious without understanding that you had to exclude everyone else in the fucking country in order to create this real, this new uh, 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 fitness uh, wellness thing, right? And you have to not only exclude, but you have to, like you said, 
take their land and then make them work on that land so you could get more shit so you could be better off, right? Physically, financially, wellness wise, optimized in every every way. Exactly. And and so the fear of immigration, there was actually a lot of immigration coming into this country at that time. But then they were like, oh, there's too many brown folks or Jewish folks. Let's you know, create some laws. And let's, you know, there's all sorts of racist immigration laws for a long fucking time. The Chinese come over. You can make them fucking build your railroad, but then kick them out of the fucking country or create all these laws so that they can't grow or prosper or at least make it difficult. Right. Um, so stealing the land from indigenous cultures using Chinese slave labor basically to build the railroads and also like there was a lot of immigrants that um, were involved in creating this country. Um, And in order to have these narratives and these ideas and these cultural realities for privileged folk, white folks is you need a lot of slaves, not just um, black slaves, but all, you know, after, after, after the civil war um, there was different waves uh, or ways of manipulating or oppressing people. And you can create a whole country and a whole reality um, while simultaneously erasing the people who built it and, and who you whom you stole the land from. And a lot of these ideas. Let me tell you something about fucking wellness. Whenever people bring up ancient history, oh, Ayurveda, Chinese, like all of these ideas about ancient history, like that's really superficial. I, these are people don't really have a deep understanding of culture or history. <clears throat> so you look at American history and it explains a lot of this stuff. You know how people make fun of unseasoned uh, chicken, like bodybuilders eat chicken bread, dry, chi- unseasoned chicken breast. Yeah. Where do you think that shit comes from? The Americans, the the time frame when they were not allowing uh, immigrants to come in because they're America's racist as, as all hell is they brought spicy food. And a big part of wellness was fear of immigration because the food was spicy and the spices are fucking the work of the devil. They tempt you. So if you get stimulated by foods or spices, that's sinful. You should avoid spicy food built out of, you know, mostly based on racism. So this is where the, the unseasoned chicken breast uh, comes from. This might sound funny to people, but take my word for it. This is real. If you're non-white and you're not from Europe. Whenever a friend or somebody comes over to the house, they have to fucking sniff your house. They have to sniff all the food. They always want to know about the spices that goes into it. What's the smell? What's, what is this flavor? Any type of food smell is automatically bad. And it's also always associated with being the other. And that's why so many Asian Americans, for instance, Indian Americans were ashamed to bring friends over because they would always make them feel less than or like a piece of shit because of the smells. And you still have people to this day complaining about the intensity of spices. It's all racialized. It's all anti-immigration. To this day, Asian spices and seasonings are demonized and always with some bullshit propaganda that isn't scientifically proven, that it's unhealthy for you, that it'll kill you. Yet we've been eating it and living off of it fine for all these years. And there's a lot of us. And it's not killing us. And in fact, we're healthier than whatever the fuck you're eating. Also, 12 cups of water. Everyone's like, oh, you got to drink 12 ounces of water, 12 glasses of water, right? Everyone's fucking obsessed with water. It's, it's, it's completely stupid. It's completely unnecessary. And that also comes from the same time frame, the water cure. 
You drink a shit ton of water, it's going to cure you. But it actually doesn't do anything even remotely similar. It'll just make your urine really watered down. And it's overstated, uh, like a lot of other health or wellness things. But a lot of these ideas originally come from this time frame. So these religious leaders who created health and wellness, they were afraid of not just women getting more agency, but of immigrants coming into the country um, because the 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 they can you know they were they considered them dehuman or 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 not human enough they weren't american they weren't white they weren't christian they weren't saved and their foods were spicy and spices uh would stimulate the body and, and tempt you into being sinful or becoming sexual uh explicit what do you call it? illicit sexuality so there's this is where a lot of these ideas come from and they're still around um, they're still very powerful. People never think about the cost of their luxurious lifestyle, right? It's like everybody's promoting this luxurious lifestyle, except only a small percentage of people can have it. And to get that, like you said, you not only need to oppress everybody, steal their shit, take their land, but you also have to exclude. Yeah, who's growing the food that all these paleo douchebags are are profiting off of? Like the all these paleo CrossFit dudes are not just living out of the local farm. You understand? Like local farms are are fantastic, but they're not going to fucking save the environment or save the planet or whatever. People fetishize small farming. Farming is very difficult work. These farmers don't make a lot of money. And the small farming, although it's important, and it'd be great if we could have more local foods, yeah, that shit is not going to save the fucking all the, the not going to fix these problems. Number one, in the same sense that your your pet diet, your fad diet, is not going to save humanity. Same concept. These are utopian ideas about health and wellness. But who's growing the food? There are right now this country in the last few years is not just a a, a, a wide embrace of uh, uh, of eugenics or, or resurgence in eugenics and race science and, and violent white supremacy, dude. These people are, are are their identity, their career identity, their profit. All of this comes from food. Who's growing the food? Right. There are like what ten thousand children separated from their parents because of a a, a racist uh a uh, 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 government, right? Mostly because, well, there's a lot of reasons. But anyways, these people don't give a shit about the people growing their food. People need to understand this. All this stuff is bullshit, dude. So much of wellness is, and diet culture is just absolute, just complete bullshit. Like, <clears throat> you didn't have, you have nothing to say about what's happening right now. These uh, the attacks on immigrant families. Or even recently when there was a big raid on a food processing plant. Um, <clears throat> that's just one aspect, but people are like, oh yeah, processing food, you know, processed food is bad. We don't care. Immigrants are growing your food and they're not being paid and they're being abused. And also like, if you look at all the labor law violations and basic ethical violations in, in the, the food processing, uh, uh in the industry, like they, they don't give a fuck, dude. They didn't say nothing. The entire industry has had nothing to say about the current eve, uh, era and people need to drive that point home. You need people need to know that wellness doesn't give a fuck about you unless you're already lean and you're all a, a, a potential consumer. Um you know, <clears throat> they've showed absolute callous, no concern whatsoever for the current event and uh, uh, what's happening. Paleo is under a bigger umbrella, right? Of clean eating and pure eating. But how the fuck is food made by children and oppressed people pure and clean? What the fuck do people mean by clean and pure? Unless it came from your garden, don't call it that. 
But if it was purchased under capitalism, it's always dirty and stained in blood. This it's it's a bit of a, a utopian fantasy. Like yes, local foods or you know small farming is important. But dude, you can't feed all these people in the country with just you know local apple orchard. You know what I mean? Or even just one food source. Like you can't just eat only meat, or you can't eat only vegetables because you need diversity. Forget about the health wise. It's about scarcity. You just need as much variety of food as you can get if you want to feed everybody, right? And it's kind of funny, right? Now that you talk about all this stuff, the whole point for a lot of people, why they get so into this is about perfection, right? So it's like they want to become perfect, but then to be perfect, you need a perfect ideal. So what is that perfect ideal? And you think about it, it only makes sense that all roads then lead to eugenics. Like, of course, the source of all these ideas was eugenics because it's about the perfect ideal. And that's what eugenics is all about. It's almost like, how did we not recognize this all this time? Um, it's, it's cleverly disguised and it just like, if you look at Francis Galton and a few other early eugenics culture, they had an explicit goal to make eugenics a popular religion. So if you look at wellness today, it's the easiest way to understand wellness today is look at who is included, who is excluded. That's eugenics. And that idea, by the way, comes from Sandra Gilman. If anybody wants to read anything on this topic, read everything you can by Sandra Gilman. Absolutely one of the best authors, hands down, on this entire stupid field. His <clears throat> his work goes into like the history of anti-Semitism and, and, and obesity and um, understanding these body issues, right? Body politics. The anyways, the reason I brought that up was because the origin of eugenics, Francis Galton and a few other people, their goal, explicit goal was to make um, uh, 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 eugenics into a popular religion. So if you look at wellness today, it functions as a surrogate religion for affluent people and um, mostly and it's very religious and spiritual in nature. It's also hardcore capitalism. It's essentially it's capitalistic religion. For affluent folks who are circle jerking with fucking stupid food, right? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so this is sort of what was intended for eugenics over time. You look at wellness today, who is included, who is excluded. That um, re- That's the reason I brought up Sander Gilman. I get that, 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 that phrase or that concept comes from him. His work is phenomenal. Um, so that's one way to understand all of this stuff is you understand the history, you see how it's happening today. Um, a lot of people are learning these ideas and they, 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 they feel guilty that they can't keep up with these standards. And a lot of people don't know you really don't need to follow these ideas. A lot of these ideas are totally unnecessary, the health and wellness or the food ideas. A lot of it's just completely unnecessary. You said, right? Some of these exercises, they're great. Some of these methods, they're great. But that's not all we get with fitness, right? It's all this extra shit. And you're saying that's where all the problem is, is all this extra shit. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to see. Like, there's a constellation of ideas. So when people talk about diet, it's not just the food or the low carb or the keto. Like, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's, there's belief systems. There's lifestyle ideas. There's, there's ideas about population and and health. Like, the, the what they what what they believe is public health is not. It's just a very strategic, um, you know, wellness ideology, and it's um, it's inherently um, flawed, but it's not easy to see. That's a popular idea in fitness, right? A very eugenics, uh, fascist idea that a lot of people in fitness talk about, which is that the problem of everything is 
is that there's just too many people. That means there's too many fat people. That means there's too much consumption. So the only way to stop all of this and all of our world problems is have less people. So those are like, <clears throat> excuse me, those are like social Darwinist, um, like Lamarckian ideas from that time frame that are still really popular. Like even if people don't talk about eugenics or fascism or whatever, or even if they don't talk about, you know, how fucked up wellness culture really is, you'll see a lot of like that social Darwinist, um, you know, overpopulation myths, stuff like that. Like those ideas are really popular within fitness culture. But a lot of these newer ideas are even probably, you know, they seem new to people. They they like them, but it's all dehumanizing. Like fat bodies are already dehumanized. People need to know that. Look at what happens when, like Nike put out uh, uh, uh outfits for large bodies, and all these fitness people are like, "Oh, you're normalizing obesity." So let me just share one thing for anyone listening. Whenever people bring that that point up or you're trying to normalize obesity like that's not an argument those people are trash you should not waste your time on those people because they do not care about you the fat bodies have already been dehumanized and mostly because of wellness i mean it, you know, it's over time it's also neoliberalism you know and like i said like in the last few years there's been a lot of good articles debunking or breaking down these ideas on wellness and they're awesome articles incredible articles and none of them come from the industry itself they're all people coming from outside the industry looking in and they are the best articles that have been written on this topic you start debunking these ideas and teaching people like you're teaching young people really bad a lot of bad things happen you can't see it like i see it because i'm in the industry and parents are are projecting these ideas into their they're imposing these ideas into their children that's one of the harms. Another harm is people who are vulnerable. Listen very carefully to this point. People who struggle with eating disorders, addictions, or alcoholism, or any kind of trauma, the wellness in the, those people are going to be drawn to wellness because there are so-called solutions. And yeah, it's kind of true, but it's also kind of not true and also really fucking dangerous because there is a lot of bad ideas, disordered ideas embedded in wellness. So when people who are vulnerable or have health issues, mental health issues um, or trauma, when they want to take initiative or take, you know, do something to improve their health, like there's a lot of bad ideas. And these in particular are not good for people who have health issues. It seems the opposite. It seems like, oh, I want to be healthy. I'm going to get into health and wellness. There's a lot of bad ideas you will pick up. There's a lot of disordered ideas. A lot of the industry have um, uh, eating disorders and all sorts of uh, a variety of disordered beliefs and habits. And they do a lot of projecting um, and imposing on others. So a lot of people are getting bad ideas. I've met uh, in, in the last year or two clients that want to work with me or have their kids work with me. And the parents are like, well, he's got bad posture. His core is weak. Uh, he doesn't really eat the right food. He, the parents are giving me a list of 10 things that I should impose on their child. And dude, I'm the expert. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I know it's your kid, but everything you just said was bullshit. Like, I know you believe this stuff, but I used to believe it 20 years ago too. <clears throat> so there's a lot of harm that comes in this industry. I mean, it's fascist, right? If you describe it, it's just fascism, right? And the thing about wellness is that the reason why it has so many bad ideas is because it always frames things as you're a problem to be solved. Your body is a problem to be solved. Your mind is a problem to be solved. Your spirit is a problem to be solved. The whole you, everything about you is wrong. It's bad. You are a problem. There's something wrong with you, right? People can't see it. So a lot of these people 
are really into this shit can't understand why you don't want to be fixed. Come on, we need to fix you. And it's like, I'm okay. And they're like, what? What do you mean you're okay? Because they can't understand if you don't see yourself as a problem. Yeah. So this is actually, this is probably the most important thing we talk about. And it's like the conscious, the health consciousness, it seems happy and wellness and pretty and yada, yada, yada. So actually within the health consciousness is a lot embedded, a lot of bad ideas. Like you just said, like you're fundamentally broken and you need to spend money to fix yourself. But a lot of this stuff is not true. And a lot of these people you admire or that are popular, dude, there are full on sociopaths in this industry that if they're lean and they do 100 supplements, like they're seen as an expert. I'm like, yo, these dudes are clowns. There's sociopaths. There are scumbags. And yes, there are a few good people, but you need to look at the, the, the big picture. Who is the most popular people on TV with this stuff right now? TV is unfortunately very influential. The Biggest Loser is probably one of the more popular shows. And all they do is abuse people on there. Those, that, those people are trash. The, the, I've been in this industry 20 years. I've never acted like that ever. Never. You don't have to act like, and I don't, there's a lot of people that you need to be assertive with or uh, keep accountable. There are people who will, will hire you as a trainer to help you help them stay accountable. And you can do that without being an abusive piece of shit. Uh, people need to understand that it's, um, there's a lot of hidden harm or not easy to see harm and people who have, who are seeking health. Yeah. You're actually, you need to be careful because a lot of these ideas are not good. Some of them, yes, they're good. A lot of them are not good. And that's a, a problem because people with health issues, mental health or physical health, are going to seek out health and wellness to fix their problems. And yeah, you, there's some things you can do, no doubt. And there's good things you can do, like you can improve your sleep and feel better. If you improve your sleep, you can reduce pain, stuff like that. But a lot of these ideas are bullshit, like especially fear of food. Like we were talking about how the body is already bad. Your body is bad and we're going to fix it. Your food is bad or sinful, and this food is better. There's, there, the, all these ideas are like, you know, here's some, a bunch of expensive food with unnecessary ideas. You need to eat this or you're not going to be good. Like, there's a lot of bad ideas, and it's really fucking dangerous for some people. And you, if you say that in public, like, people don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I've had clients in the last couple of years that have come to me and they're like, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, well, this is what I do. You have pain. No, I'm not going to do a stupid CrossFit workout with you. Well, there's a bit of sadism, right? They feel like working out is part of your self-flagellating, like self-punishment. <clears throat> this is one of the biggest problems with the wellness culture. It's so fucking in anti-intellectual. It's so vapid and it's seen as deep and you know conscientious and like I'm doing something for society and, and something for the universe. Like, no, that's all um, like just made up bullshit. But it is religious, right? Absolutely. This is all. This, if wellness is a surrogate religion for a lot of people who are not. They, they don't really fully see it that way. You know what I mean? But you listen to them, listen to the language and the words and how they act. And it's a surrogate religion for a privileged culture. And uh, the promise or the aspiration is that you can become a better person, uh, which has all sorts of implications. You know, you can be more moral or be better, better than who? The whole fitness wellness ideology or the identity is based on uh, the other. You can't be healthy without identifying the unhealthy other. The identity itself is based on shaming everyone else. The, 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 the contempt 
for fat people or disabled. Look at the fitness industry doesn't give a fuck about disabled people until they can use it in a meme. Then they're like, look at this dude in a wheelchair. He's doing a pull-up. This is inspiring. Yeah, what's your problem? They're using you. It's fucking, that shit is, is just twisted. But like what you were saying is the sadism and self-flagellation. This is a real, a real thing. People are going and, and, and getting at, you know, requesting deep tissue massage because they're in pain and they're trying to manage their pain with uh, a deep tissue massage. They don't really know it. A lot of them don't. And then there's people that are going to seek out deep tissue because pain is trendy. So they think that they should feel some pain in a massage in order to be elite or status. They believe it that suffering makes you more fit. They're tra- all these people are trying to emulate someone, uh, a fantasy of like this elite fitness person that lives in their mind. There's a tremendous gap between reality and what consumers believe. And that's a problem because you can be that you can exploit the fuck out of people that way. There's also a, a, an awareness gap between the professionals and how the rest of the world lives. So there's tremendous um, problems with all of this stuff. And those are two of the big problems because that leads to people being confused or misled or being taken advantage of. Well, you think about working out to what you just talked about using pain and massage or what's supposed to be therapy, right? And it's all this idea of like wanting to break yourself down. And that's what also sounds religious, right? You have to come broken and wretched to be reborn, right? It's all this like religious imagery. And also with a lot of these gurus, right? They're selling you on this idea. They don't like themselves. So they're like, you shouldn't like yourself either, right? And when you think, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need 50 supplements. I don't need to do this. They can't wrap their minds around it because they're like, you like yourself? You think you're fine the way you are? They just can't fathom it. So they have to try to convert you into hating yourself. So that way, then you need them, right? They're projecting their self-hate onto you. Yeah, and so look at, Biggest Loser is a good example of that. Julian Michaels, like the ideology itself is based on, like I said, it's based on contempt for the unhealthy other and it replicates the unhealthy other. So every time we all participate in this stupid wellness culture, we're replicating these ideas, helping them continue and grow. So there's a lot of people absolutely that have, um, that are sadist or that have uh, self-loathing issues, um, but the ideology itself, the way it's been transformed or, or commodified or co-opted in the last few years, that's a big one, is all of, a lot of these ideas are not just contempt for fat bodies or for the unhealthy other, but also there's this unrealistic ideal that if you're not emulating or living to this standard, you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. People need to know this. Once you get into health and fitness or wellness or nutrition, there's all sorts of cycles that you'll get caught up in and you're never going to win. You will never be satisfied. Now, you absolutely can do stuff and take advantage or, or take control, You know, lose weight or get strong or whatever, and that's great. But the bad stuff is much more prevalent and not easy to see. And that's what you just said, is you'll never be good enough in a lot of these circumstances. And a lot of these people that are gurus, whether they're massage therapists or personal trainers, um, they're projecting a lot of their own personal baggage. So here's the thing. Pseudoscience is when there's some good science mixed in with some bullshit science. And a lot of alternative health or wellness people, like they're not bad people. They're just repeating bad ideas they don't know are bad. There is also the bad person or guru who's just a scumbag. And there's a lot of those, too. But like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I believed in 
health ideas I don't anymore. I wasn't a fraud or a guru trying to scam people. No, I just believed in stuff that over time you become more skeptical. You learn that's not true. So it's a trick. Like the other day, one of the IDW dudes, the Weinstein brothers, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Eric and Brett. They start every sentence with, I'm a Democrat, but, and then they say some fascist shit, right? One of them did an interview, a podcast interview with Ben Greenfield, who's a fitness guru. So Ben Greenfield, similar to a lot of these other people, like, or like me 20 years ago, like you believe in these ideas. It's not that you're trying to screw people. It's just that you believe in them. And a lot of the bad ideas and the screwing people is built into the ideology. Um, Eric Weinstein did an interview with that dude, Ben Greenfield. So these IDW fucking dudes want to be like Mr. Science. I'm Mr. Logic. I'm Mr. Reason. And you're interviewing some fucking pseudoscience huckster with fucking wellness bullshit. Get the fuck out of here. That dude, look up that dude's article on trying to grow his penis or whatever the fuck he did. <laughs> He's like, oh, I want to make my penis bigger. A lot of these dudes, especially the alpha male tough guy types, these dudes are just insecure as fuck. And they're doing a lot of project, a lot of covering up. There's a lot of um, lot of deep psychology and all of this stuff. A lot of them got into the growing your penis industry or business, right? Like Tucker Max got into that shit. Dave Asprey, like all these dudes. Like that dude's a f- straight up fraud. He lost 100 pounds and then told everyone it was because of his special low carb diet. Fuck you. He did amphetamines for a fucking year. <laughs> and I don't, again. Nootropics. They call it nootropics. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't care if you use drugs, but you should not be fucking lying to people and deceiving people. That's the problem. Like, just come out and say you fucking snort Adderall or whatever the fuck you do um, so that or I've been doing 20 different types of steroids for 20 fucking years. My ball shrunk up. But let me now go out and promote being an alpha male tough guy and how swinging my dick around in society. Like a lot of these dudes are shitty shithead fucking insecure losers. Just because they look good or they look like a bodybuilder. Like, who gives a fuck, dude? People are absolutely enamored with such superficial bullshit in this country. And wellness just capitalizes on that. If you're Mr. Logic, Science, fucking reasonable, rational, like that shit is a that's an online personality. That's just that's the skeptic culture does that. The two, not just the skeptics like Michael Shermer or Scam Harris or whatever. Like, oh, there's a whole like skeptic community and fitness and wellness. And a lot of this is just establishing authority. It's not, it's the, and that fight between pseudoscience and medical science, like that goes back 100 years too. And some of those stories are uh, of the, of that battle of, you know, is it, are these charlatans bad? Or is medical science uh, bad? Like this really started back um, in the early 20th century. Um, Look up this dude, Irving Fisher. He was the main dude criticizing charlatans and pseudoscience or what they called, um, you know, patent medicine. And he had some really good. These are important points. Yeah, these charlatans are screwing people, number one. But that dude was a hardcore eugenicist also. Kellogg, uh, John Harvey Kellogg, also one of the most significant influences in creating wellness, extremely fucking hardcore eugenicist. Like these aren't just dudes who are like, oh, white people are cool. No, dude, they, they, the, these ideas influenced laws. They influenced medicine, science, and politics. Like is really deep, and people don't really know that much about eugenics. 
But anyways, getting back to the IDW, the dudes like Scam Harris, get the fuck out of here, dude. It's 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 all performance. It's it's performative to to make themselves seem like an authority because it's social capital. Like, oh, you're an expert, dude. Eric Weinstein is uh, fucking Peter Thiel's ma- money manager, number one, and his brother Brett. He built his Twitter personality on. Oh, I'm being discriminated because I'm white. Fuck you, fucking little fucking i don't believe these dudes i I think they're fundamentally at least with the online stuff and the online personality i think it's all social cap i think it's performance i don't believe i don't but i don't think they're honest he just ripped off jordan peterson's shtick right jordan peterson did it first and then he jumped on that bandwagon he's like oh look at him he's big and famous and making a ton of money let me do the same shtick I think that shtick is what's driving a lot of these people that's why i don't necessarily believe like okay so I believe that they're jumping. The grift is that powerful of a motivator that, no, I do not believe you, dude. And then if you want to claim to be rational, skeptical, Mr. Fucking Science, that's scientism, dude. That's fucking trying to establish authority and also thinking or believing that science is this all universal way of having all the answers to everything. It's um, it's way overstated. And then it they disprove or they they demonstrate when they do these things that they're not rational that they're not mr fucking logic like this is a lot of like social media stuff but anyway so that's why i brought those dudes up because um i don't believe them no i do not believe them uh brett weinstein what a shithead dude i and then you know who's even fucking worse this dude james Lindsay spends his day on twitter looking to troll people and then he's like oh well you know yeah, these social justice warriors are a real problem. The dude spends all day fucking starting fights and talking shit and then plays a, a, a victim. Fuck you, dude, you fucking loser. And their whole thing is like, oh, reverse racism. Like, I'll be discriminated against. Well, get the fuck out of here. I don't believe them. And then they wrote an article on weight loss. Pluckrose, Helen Pluckrose wrote an article on weight loss. That is the dumbest fucking article ever written on the topic, and they do this to troll so that some liberals will be like oh my god this is terrible and then they're like haha we got you like they wrote an article on weight loss and the whole thing was and this is recent like a month ago or something the whole topic or headline was they took some obscure point somebody made that said weight loss is genocide like i've been in this industry 20 years i never fucking heard that so they're taking some obscure point and they're saying here's an article on sjw's and I'm like, dude, nobody fucking says that. And if somebody did, it's probably some obscure uh, journal um, and it's not really popular. So why are you bringing that up? They're bringing it up so that they can establish themselves as as an authority and debunk this, what they consider to be SJW, uh, whatever, right? They're yelling at clouds. They find an argument no one is making just to debunk it and assert themselves as scientific, smart people. So then they can set up a Patreon, start a podcast. And make lots of money or have speaking engagements or write shitty books. So I don't believe these people. I, I think the grift is much more powerful. It's not as obvious as the other grifters, right? But I think there's the opportunity to make money and to have be an authority on social media. There's a lot of social capital. And that's what's driving a lot of this stuff. When Cernovich came to Columbia University to speak, Brett, uh, uh, Brett uh, tweeted out, Oh, you guys are saying that the white supremacy is the problem, but that language is what will cause white supremacy. And this is an argument that they make is that if you keep talking about racism, you're going to create racist 
that's a sentiment I get all the time online too, especially when I post stuff about racism. People I'll kind of uh, tangentially know who call themselves liberals. I mean, that's how they self-identify. That's how they vote, right? They don't know how right-wing or reactionary they are. But whenever I bring up racism, they kind of use the same argument as him. It's like, if I keep bringing it up and pointing it out, I will create the racism I'm talking about. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's one of their arguments. I'm pointing out the thing that already exists. What do you mean I'm the one creating it? Fuck off. Yeah, because they're, they're trying to deny it. That, that it's a problem. That dude, James Lindsay, the other day, he's like, oh, I don't, uh, racism is not really a problem. It's just a bunch of SJWs looking to create problems. Fuck you. I think what he said was that he'd rather live in a racist world than a world that doesn't tolerate racism. You know, nobody put him in check. They're, now they're, they have free reign on the internet to be an authority and to gather a following and make some money. And that's really powerful. These are powerful motivators. So, um, You've been working on a fitness slash political project, right? You mentioned it earlier in the podcast about a map. Now, I'm trying to finish it, actually. It's a history of wellness and diet culture. It's fascinating, but it's a lot. It's a big fucking... Do the history of the turn of the century is just massive. So there's so many changes and so many things that are involved in the creation of the health and wellness culture that <clears throat> it's not an easy topic. But along this journey of creating this project, I've also... Um, tracked some of these important issues. Where do these ideas or issues come from? The Where does the body hierarchies come from? Uh, who created it? Why was it created? These are still opera. These are the, these are th still functional in wellness culture today. You know, like I said, the fat bodies are dehumanized. Um, where does this hierarchy of bodies come from? So I can tell you, right? So <clears throat> that's what I'm doing for the second part is the history of the first part is history of wellness and diet culture, but a big part of that is creating these body hierarchies. It's all fucking racism mostly. But um, then how did fascism develop and how was fitness or body culture um, an integral part of fascism? And I already mentioned Neil's book. That's one person. And Eugene Sando had a big uh, role in this as well. And it's really interesting because it's not. I've mentioned these the 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 the, the establishing of the, the the fascist aesthetic or stuff like that. But there is a whole absolutely awesome, interesting history of resistance to fascism in fitness culture. So that shit is fucking. That is like some of the most interesting stuff ever. Um, there is native uh, indigenous resistance in this country. Uh, within fitness. People don't know that the YMCA and the Boy Scouts and fitness was used uh, as a tool for colonization. So there is there are stories um, within America of resistance. Um, a big part of that is YMCA. <clears throat> Their plan on colonizing, that shit backfired. But anyway, so YMCA was established as like the Boy Scouts, a, a colonizer organization. If y'all watch the Korean movie Parasite, that's what the Boy Scouts and many of the other references were about colonialism. The other thing was in Europe, like if you look at the history of fitness culture, gymnastics it really starts practically speaking here, right? It really starts in the early uh, 19th century with one particular, a few particular individuals. But there was also, it wasn't all nationalist or anti-Semitic uh, anti um, fitness people. There was also socialist um, and workers, uh, uh, fitness and sports movements as well. So the map is right now, it's like fitness culture and fascism. And I show where they went and what they do. But 
the second part that I'm going I'm really excited to get to and put out is fitness culture as resistance to fascism. So, and there's uh, if and if anyone's listening and interested, there's this dude named uh, Gabriel Kuhn who has written some really good books. He has a book on Austrian fitness culture, anti-fascism, sports and sobriety, forging a militant working class culture. And it features this dude, Julian, uh, Julius Deutsch. So I want to, at some point, get to that map as well, not just the fitness and uh, fascism, but the resistance to oppression or resistance to uh, fascism uh, via fitness culture. That's actually a topic I talk about a lot, and I'm trying to bring in more guests about, which is like the socialists were using physical culture to fight back against fascism and try to grow unions to get people over to socialism, even to like uh, the creation of like union sports and, and leagues and, and so forth. So here's, okay. So let me tell you something really fucking cool. So in Germany at the, with the, the, the gymna- the history of gymnastics clubs and gymnastics, physical culture, these were explicitly political groups. It was training for paramilitary organizations. They weren't training for wellness or weight loss or for performance. They were training to be soldiers. Right. And so this is where um, uh, Father John comes in. He's one of the most influential of all of this stuff, probably the most influential, but um, he was an anti-Semite. He did the first book burning, um, burned like an anti, I think there was a, a communist author and they burned his book. He was gay, communist, something like that. Um, I forget. But there were other fitness groups as well. And they were not all um, the, 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 that, this is the early days of, of fascism is 19th century Germany. Um, and most of it, like Adolf Hitler was inspired by, by Father John. Like this dude was very influential. And these groups, these gymnastics clubs, they were political groups. But anyways, there were a whole shitload of revolutions in Europe in the mid 1800s. And some of these political gymnast groups, fitness groups, um, they were called the 48ers. There was you know, revolutions in 1848. And some of them failed and they had to leave because if you try to do a revolution and it didn't work out, the state is going to fucking kill you or prison and put you in prison. Right. Some of these gymnasts came to the United States. They were called the 48ers. And dude, these dudes were fucking badass. They fought in the Civil War. Um, they helped get physical education into schools in America. Um, they did community work. These were socialist fitness clubs, but did community work. It was absolutely fascinating. There's some. There's actually a bunch of material on the 48ers. That shit is dope, dude. They came. They supported John Brown. What are the 48ers? The, these were the German. So the German gymnastics. The the main dude was Father John Friedrich John, and his thing was creating this gymnastics workout routine. They were these groups were called Turners. The Turner Halls, right? We had these Turner Halls in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So when so those were Germans that came here to and established that, but they came here like right after the 1848 revolutions. So they were fighters, dude. They came. They supported John Brown in the Civil War. Some of them fought on the side of the Union. They did community service. They helped build uh, schools and get phys ed, in, physical education into school systems. And they were socialist. Uh, fitness groups. 
Um, but anyway, so th- those are the 48ers. That's a big part of fitness culture, and they did some really important work. And there's also like muscular Judaism. There's a lot of things that were established at this time. So 48ers were the Europeans who participated in the uh, the 1848 revolutions across Europe. Yeah, and they had and they were this they had to leave Germany or they would get arrested. And when they came to the United States, they participated. They were very influential all throughout this country, but like in the Midwest, big big impact in the Midwest and did some really good things. I mean, if socialists weren't involved, sports would never have unions, right? Like if they weren't there, the owners weren't going to give them unions. It was only because the socialists were there from the inception. Yeah. Along these lines, there's this bias that I think is slowly starting to erode. But for the most part, people think anything spiritual or quote unquote clean or mindful or holistic or vegan or inspirational or we talked about the aggressive stuff and you know people get that aggressive stuff can be far right. But with the seemingly non-masculine wellness stuff, people just assume that that can't ever be reactionary. So why do you think that bias exists? And uh, what's the actual reality here? I think that Americans in general are not very politically literate. So it's easy to be a reactionary or conservative. By default, you mean? Yeah, kind of by default. Like people think that there's like a two party system. That this party system is actually a lot further to the right than people are aware. But I think it's easy. A lot of these ideas, um, like the spiritual ideas and the new age and the self help ideas, they seem pleasant and nice, but a lot of them are actually uh, reactionary or right wing agendas. You were in that world, right? Like I was spiritual and. Like I read a lot of the literature because it seems like uh, on the surface it's appealing. It sounds nice and spiritual and pleasant, but it's actually really not. Like you know, self help is like is, is victim blaming mostly, right? It's like it's contempt for poor people, but blaming them, and that's a big part. That's the essence of self help. Yeah, you're doing it to yourself. Yeah, um, spirituality is tricky, but the New Age movement also comes from this time frame mostly. And of course, full of fucking white supremacy, <laughs> uh, like body hierarchies and spiritual hierarchies. Um, these ideas are embedded into the ideology. So if you get into new age, it was originally called new thought. Um, then it became new age. But there's a lot of like really bad ideas embedded in these things that seem pleasant and spiritual. But when you really, bo- you know, when you really examine it, you you see what's going on, and there are consequences to this stuff. Is a lot of it is the, you know like created by you know reactionaries at the time, and so you have a lot of these ideas. Like self help is mostly like I said, it's it's victim blaming, poor shaming, and hardcore capitalism. It's callous fucking social Darwinist capitalism. Like we don't give a fuck about you because you think bad. What? has happened in the last few years is a new sense of spirituality or morality with wellness. And most of it is um, really based on shaming and manipulating each other. So happiness and positive thinking, these are ways of manipulating and shaming people. Um, This is part of wellness ideology, the spiritual or bio morality aspect of, of wellness. Like, so they shame and manipulate people with, with uh, happiness and positive thinking. And so these are, Maybe not so easy to see, 
But these are um, sort of what's part of self-help or new age or spirituality is ways of manipulating and shaming others into, you know, it's manipulation into getting them to conform. And if you don't conform, you're punished. These are, this is how society works. So uh, new age, originally called new thought, in my opinion, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new religious movement. It's sort of what you could call the third great awakening. Like I, I mentioned in the, the, the early 19th century, there was a big Protestant wave, and that's called the Second Great Awakening. With the development of new age and spirituality and self-help and fitness, wellness culture, I, some people, I consider it a Third Great Awakening. It was a, mostly a new religious movement. Within that are some of these ideas created by some people who their ideas are embedded in it. So you pick up a lot of these reactionary or... or, uh, or like a right-wing agenda type ideas, like shaming and blaming uh, the individual, the, the poor people for being poor. Their consciousness is bad. Their thoughts are bad. The identity of wellness is based, their fitness or health or whatever, is based on the unhealthy other. So you have to have this dichotomy. Like you have to have an unhealthy other or someone to shame in order to identify yourself as superior, right? So then this is where eugenics comes in. Eugenics is just creating standards of what's normal or acceptable and what's deviant. And like this shit is very influential. It influenced, like I said before, science and politics, psychology, psychiatry, popular culture. So for listeners who don't know, the first great awakening was the Protestant revival in the UK with an emphasis on evangelical Protestantism. The Second Great Awakening was the same thing in the United States, once again on the evangelical Protestantism. And this is how Protestant Christianity became the face of Christianity in the U.S. and the U.K., and ultimately how evangelical Protestantism became the face of Protestantism and de facto became the face of Christianity here in the U.S., whereas much of the rest of the world, Christianity means Catholicism. But because of the influence of the United States and neoliberalism, evangelical Protestantism is quickly becoming the face of Christianity everywhere. So a lot of these ideas in themselves are already uh, sort of, you know, you know, hardcore conservative or right wing or whatever. Why do you think we assume if somebody is weird or alternative, it automatically means that they're kind and good hearted? I don't know. It's 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 a good question. I think it's something related to what you said in, earlier in our conversation is how we're always expecting bad guys or the bad people to be like super villains in movies. So because that's what we're expecting, if the bad guy comes in the form of a weirdo or somebody spiritual or alternative, we don't recognize it. And in fact, because it doesn't look like the supervillain, the eugenicist, like super mastermind from the movies, then we actually just default to thinking they must be good. Yeah. So here is a, another really interesting thing is uh, at this time, uh, you know, media was developing um, and um, branding and marketing. And what time? Um uh, like the early 20th century comic books and like pulp fiction. Like there was a lot of like new literature, there was new things. Everything was fucking new at that mm -hmm. time. So um, what they did was they took uh, superheroes and modeled them after physical culture guys. Yeah, the, 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 the history of the origin of the, the muscular Superman types, the superheroes. So 
I think there's a lot of ideas that are embedded in society from this time um, where archetypes were created and ideals and standards and deviations, all these things were created. And a lot of these ideas are just embedded in the consciousness of people. And it's not easy for people to see spirituality. I think people associate it with, um, oh, India or, oh, I used to be Christian. Now I'm more liberal and I'm spiritual. But um, yeah, dude, there's a lot of bad ideas (laughs) embedded in in spirituality. Like if you look at a, we didn't even cover the history of, of, of yoga. But I, dude, I've been to India. Like I went to India to study yoga from the fucking masters, and you have no idea, dude. Fucking eugenics is also a part of the history of yoga. The 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 dude I mentioned before, Niels Buk. You want to know something really interesting? Is all the vinyasa and ashtanga, the power uh, power yoga flow, the, the 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 routines that are really popular? Guess where that comes from? That's the, the Danish gymnast I told you who worked with Nazi Germany. He Those are his routines, dude. Those are his routines. And also the YMCA used his routine. The YMCA was, a, I told you, it was a colonizer organization. Their whole thing was to Christianize or you know, convert people into becoming cr- white Christians or whatever. That's why you actually see a lot of those vinyasas, those type of calisthenics, they call it, right? I've heard people be like, hey, I learned that when I was doing gymnastics. Or I learned that when I was doing my karate. Or I learned that when I was doing my whatever their thing is because these kind of physical culture people went around the world and taught it to all these cultures, right? And these cultures thought that it was theirs, but it's like, no, dude, they all came from Europe. Your European gymnastics routines, and they're fine. They're, they're dope, like vinyasa, shtanga power flow. So this, the dude I mentioned before who helped, who established the, the fascist eight body aesthetic, uh, who worked with authoritarian governments around the world who helped spread fascism, um, that's his all his stuff. Yoga, the Shanga and the power flow, the, the vinyasa. Those are European gymnastics, specifically Niels Buk, the Danish guy. Uh, Eugene Sandow was also tremendously influential in India. But he didn't really tell the truth about that. He, I've seen stuff where he said, oh, I didn't learn anything. I didn't do much when I was in India. Dude, he fucking had tremendous influence in yoga culture. Um, but a lot of the eugenics ideas that they taught are also embedded in yoga culture. Yoga, the, the literature is old. The, the yoga culture itself is not old. It's a product of this turn of the century, uh, fitness, physical culture craze. And there's a lot of eugenics ideas, but you read some of the literature, the Hindu or not the modern Hindu, I should say, uh, neo westernized Hinduism of, of yoga culture. Um, yeah, these people don't give a fuck, dude. The whole idea about being spiritual and saving the planet or doing something constructive for the community, that's yeah, all bullshit. It's all fucking, you're exercising and that's good, but you're not contributing to the spiritual development of the world or the you know, karma of the planet by doing your fucking meditation or your prayers while doing, um, your, your vinyasa flow. But anyways, those, uh, routines all, all come from European gymnastics, um, the history of yoga is absolutely fascinating and no, it's not ancient. I think because people mistake where they do this kind of this like, uh, you know, like how a lot of a lot of Americans, white Americans, they have that um, internalized racism. So they just think Chinese, Korean, it's all the same, right? Japanese and and uh, Vietnamese, they're all the same. They're all Asian. So it's the same thing with stuff from India, yoga, Hindu, it's all the same shit. So then yoga is the same age as Hinduism, right? The yoga culture I'm talking about, right? So then they they transpose one thing onto the other and then voila, right? You have credibility. 
Yeah, so let me just say the fascination with Asian shit in wellness culture, that's fucking racism. That's Orientalism. I hate that shit. It's exotic. Like they think, so here's the thing. If you look at like uh, the bell curve, like the, the so-called race science or whatever fucking, right? So the whole concept is that, you know, blacks and Latinos are inferior to whites, but Asians are fucking magical. So these are stereotypes and this exists with deeply within health and wellness culture. So when people talk like massage therapists, these people are the fucking worst with this stuff. They're like, oh, ancient healing systems. Like, nah, dude, you're, you don't, they, they have a very superficial understanding of history. They may actually have some appreciation, but a lot of it is, just, um, it's, it's exoticizing. It's, 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 it's like, um, the, the, the embodiment of exotic fucking look at these Asians are magical Hindu Hindus are, or ancient like i think it's actually really gross and also they're trying to be better they're like oh i'm i'm a hindu yogi yeah so so i think it's a lot of this is exoticizing or it's it's orientalism it's like oh here's some asian dudes they must be spiritual or magical but they're always desexualized right part of the reason why you can do that with orientalism because you can still say we're the alpha right we're still like white male alpha but we can appreciate your desexualized healing powers or like mysticism, right? These are stereotypes and, and, and it, like it's gross. A lot of this stuff is just fucking gross. Well, what drives me crazy is when they call anything Eastern medicine, even if it's like indigenous people, you know, of the Americas or like chiropractics, which was invented in the US or it's like phrenology or some shit from Europe. They call it all Eastern medicine because once they do, then it gives it more credibility, right? Yeah, it spiritualizes it. So if you if you something is spiritual, it has more value um, or more power. So um, if everything is ancient and spiritual, it's it's yeah, it's really gross, dude. And these people, just to be clear, like these people don't give a fuck about <laughs> about Asian cultures or you know, like look at what's happening in India or Kashmir right now. Um, like you think these yoga people give a fuck? They don't, dude. They clearly don't, right? Yeah. Or look at the no touch, you know, weirdos in uh, martial arts. Like these, some of these dudes literally think, yo, there's this dude from Miami who's a guru, a fitness guru, and he's a got a black belt. I forget uh, Shotokan or something. I forgot, but he's got a black belt. He's also a yoga guy. The dude literally thinks and talks and acts like he's some fucking ancient fucking Asian guru like they, the 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 mannerisms and the, the the inflections and their tones and their voice and the, the the accents like they really take on this role and pretend to be you know i'm i'm just as spiritual and expert as you know these masters like i think it's a sort of a, a weird kind of fetish well you got that spiritual coach that we've talked about before right uh jp sears who's very popular online a lot of liberals love him Leftists see right through it because they understand the class component of it, but capitalist liberals love this dude. They love, dude. We went to the same school. We went to the, did the same training. We did the same fucking training. We were both Czech practitioners, and um, after that, we did a few what you would consider to be like spiritual or healing modalities. Um, a lot of the healing stuff is like hodgepodge of different systems put together most of this was really started by Esalon 
Um, like a lot of this stuff. It's all, oh, dude. It's all neoliberalism. <laughs> like the nineteen eighties changed everything, and 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 since then it's just gotten a lot worse. But the healing stuff is like you take aspects of Carl Jung and um, Gestalt and uh, different embodiment practices. Like they take a hodgepodge of different things, and some of this is sincere. They're trying to help people heal from trauma or whatever. And some people with trauma are seeking this stuff out in order to heal and grow. But you're, it, it's not easy because there's all sorts of there's ways of long term indoctrination. You're believing and learning all these fucking ideas that are not necessarily true, and very specific cultural ideas too. These are very ethnocentric ideas, um, but they're presented as fucking ancient or whatever. But anyways, um, JP Sears and me, we did the same training, and a lot of this is like it's not that unique. You can get the same training everywhere now. So over time, I got more skeptical. Um, over time, he and everyone else in the, the spiritual stuff, like you get deeper and deeper and deeper. You just continually get deeper and you just believe it and it becomes your worldview and you see the world in these ways and you really genuinely believe it. So what JP Sears does, he mocks all the new age stuff, right? Like he's got a whole book of nothing but sarcasm and his videos, he'll, he does some funny shit, no doubt. And I don't have any personal beef or anything. We were friends for a minute and then you need to understand that he's mocking when he makes those sarcasm, but he's mocking new agers that are on the fringe with weird beliefs. Dude, those are fucking mainstream spiritual beliefs. So it seems it's easy to mock those people. He's, but he's not really mocking them because they're all the same spiritual beliefs. And you look at his crew of friends, Czech practitioners are fucking, I used to be a Czech practitioner. A lot of these dudes are spiritual, um, deeply new age spiritual types some of his friends are like the raw bras you ever heard of the raw bras no they're like raw food health gurus dude they're fucking born again christian fucking douchebags homophobic fucking douchebags so you can be as spiritual as you want dude what you're really doing is expressing very specific cultural ideas um, and I know you think it's spiritual and it's ancient and it's transcends time and culture. Nah, dude, actually, these are a lot of these ideas were created in the uh, 19th century um, new thought movement, which became new age. And um, you think you have its mind cure is what it is. You think you have the power to cure someone by you know doing some coaching. Now, it's tricky because you will get some therapeutic response. Uh, sometimes people can have good experiences. Um, but a lot of it's bullshit. And also a lot of this is, this also comes from the, the early 20th century. Um, it's called the triumph of the therapeutic or the therapeutic ethos. When you just drive everyone into narcissism and they start thinking they're changing or saving the world, but all they're just doing is becoming narcissistic and feeling good. And this is a big part of also neoliberal culture, uh, you know, is, is, is this therapeutic ethos, um, by being narcissistic, you're saving the world or fixing the world from your perceived, problem the perceived problems or degeneracy and all these are again goes back to eugenics ideas that the world is deteriorating and it's all degenerates and yada 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 and all this is all these narratives come from the rhetoric comes from eugenics um anyway so jp sears is a sincere person but fundamentally confused everyone who embraces these the spiritual ideology that comes from new age or new thought culture like these are um on the surface they seem nice but um also, when you make fun of the people on the fringe, like that's just not on the fringe, dude. That's he's a spiritual coach, an emotional healing coach. I can tell you all about these things, and and it's the same stuff that he's making fun of. He believes and teaches. 
Yeah, I think what confuses people is because he mocks it, they think he's against it, but he's like, he just mocks what he's into. There's also very specific conservative reactionary agendas in all of these things. And he made a comment just before the election. He's like, oh, political correctness is a problem. And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. That's not a problem. Your fucking new age bullshit spirituality is a fucking problem. Oh, he talks about that a lot. And also he talks against social justice warriors. And And so that's a propaganda term. And people need to be very clear. Now, there are real problems with liberal culture. Fucking... Um, especially wellness culture, like these people, um, like especially white feminists um, and, and, and like liberal corporate liberal culture, like these are shitty people that are fucking just absurd. So but the, the SJW is a propaganda term as invented and deployed to deflect from the real issues in our culture, especially racism. These dudes have nothing to say about racism. They only have. Oh, SJW, SJW, shut the fuck up. Get the fuck out of here with that stuff, fucking loser. And also, Paul Check said some stupid shit, too. Like, I've, I've, I've become skeptical over the years, um, but I've also distanced myself from all of these organizations and groups and the belief systems, and it's, not, it's really not easy for people to see this, that stuff and do that. You know what I mean? There's only a small number of people who were former paleo or formerly New Age or whatever. There's only very small people. Well, the majority of people who get into health and wellness culture and alternative health, and once they become part of these cultures or communities, they're done. That's it. It's a religion. It's a cult. They're not coming back. It's, it's that compelling, that appealing. And now that brings up another important point. Why is this stuff so compelling to people? It's because our society is fundamentally fucking broken. And these things, these cultures, they're providing something that our culture, our society is not. There's an ideology, there's a community. Yeah, if you have a society that alienates people, some weirdo new age shit is going to be appealing because it's a it's a community where people come together. And they could be they can support each other, right? I think that's what Marx talked about, right? Once you have alienation, then you could have all kinds of despots come in and and uh, take over, take advantage. Yeah, yeah. So these are really important points. It's not just criticizing the the, the spiritual bullshit. It's also realizing why are people dri- driven, uh, or why do these why are these things appealing? And also, there's indoctrination. Why are people learning a lot of wellness stuff and fitness stuff or whatever? Um, it's because, like I said before, socially imposed goals or aspirations. Some of it's sincere. Some of it's imposed. It's not so easy sometimes. But I think the overall, it's important to understand why are these things happening? And that's because our society is broken, fundamentally fucking broken. None of this shit would work if there weren't vulnerable people in the first place. So we have to question, why are there vulnerable people? Yeah, what what happened? Most of it's le- neoliberalism, like over the last 50, 80 years or whatever, but mostly coming from the 80s. Like the 80s was like neoliberalism uh, uh, um, on steroids. And now it's and plus wellness and fitness culture in particular, they, all of this in- in- enables narcissism. Like neoliberalism is the whole thing is like each individual is responsible for saving the world. Everything is fucking commodified and you are responsible. Everything you do is going to save the world or fix the planet. You got to recycle. You got to work out. You got to do wellness. That's all bullshit, dude. That's all fucking scam. Uh, Privatizing all these things, it diverts uh, focus and resources from actual public problems, social problems. Um, But that's neoliberalism. But also wellness. You get into this stuff, there are various ways of becoming more narcissistic, but you believe you're becoming more spiritual and helping and saving the world. It's fucking twisted, dude. 
but we're supposed to like Ronald Reagan now, right? <laughs> I don't know. It was a big thing in punk rock in the 80s was, you know, fuck Ronald Reagan. I didn't fully understand it, but now looking back, there's a lot of stuff like, you know, like taking a political position against Reaganomics or against Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher. But looking back now, I understand a lot more now, obviously, because we're older. But it was neoliberalism is, you know, comes from ultimately, I think it comes from Austria in the early 20th century. But over time, it was the 1980s. Everything really changed. Fitness culture or, or health and wellness culture really changed um, as well as every, a lot of other things. And that's one really important key point is that there's various ways, multiple ways of becoming more and more isolated or alienated and narcissistic while believing you are doing the opposite. That shit is twisted. And if these healers really did want to help people, right, if they really do have good intentions, they'd be the first ones all about Medicare for all, right? Because they want to help people, right? But most of them are all against Medicare for all. I think the number one thing people need to start talking about is the current era, the whole wellness, the $4 trillion wellness culture just fucking didn't say a fucking thing and also embraced uh, right-wing extremism. But also, that's the linchpin right there, Medicare, uh, healthcare. Clearly, these people do not care about public health. If you actually cared about public health, you would be fighting for universal healthcare, number one. And they don't. In fact, they don't know much about it. Wellness culture is inherently political. The people are politically illiterate, though. So that's the number one thing I, I think people need to understand and also start teaching or promoting is if you actually cared about health, you'd be pushing for um, some kind of social welfare, or, you know, the public health issue or, you know, universal health care is the number one most obvious thing, dude. People are, you know, how many people either don't have health insurance, die from lack of health insurance, or lose their life savings over some bullshit uh, medical uh, uh, bills. Like these are, this is a crisis with healthcare, but because people who are in wellness live a very privileged life, they don't see that other people suffer. So I think that's the most important thing. If y'all are interested in health and wellness, start pushing aggressively. Universal healthcare, like most, you know, Western European nations or whatever. Um, and all of these bogus arguments that come up and, you know, oh, well, you know, not everything is perfect. Oh, look at Cuba. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, the American healthcare system is, most people recognize that it's fundamentally broken, but they don't, they're not really concerned about the people's health. It's like anti modernism, all of this stuff. Universal healthcare. No, you don't, you don't know anything about it. Then don't say you care. The wellness people do not care about public health. We need to understand this. They care about, you know, themselves and the people who are already in the club or who can potentially be in the club because it's, it's, it's part of the whole ideology. And that's been my problem with a lot of the write-ups, even from the perspective of outsiders, they have been writing good stuff, but it's all cultural. Even James Fell, he writes stuff, but it's all cultural. And it's like, if it is about wellness, isn't universal healthcare the most important thing? Isn't a lot of these kind of social programs the most important thing? And that's what I feel like is still lacking. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you, hundred percent. And that's I think if anyone's listening and they won't, you're into this stuff, like that's an, I think one of the biggest issues. The two biggest issues is universal healthcare and obesity. The concept of obesity is largely used to uh, dehumanize and. Wellness itself is eugenics. It's, you know, look again, like I said, Sandra Gilman's work. Like who's included, who's excluded? Right now, it's like privileged folk, people who have money are included. You can, you know, live a better life, have better healthcare outcomes. 
Um, but not everybody has that same aspect. So people need to start waking up the health culture, wellness culture to these ideas. Universal health care or shut the fuck up. <laughs> what do you think about somebody like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow? I'm kind of curious about your opinions about somebody like her or what she represents. She's like her own IDW, right? She's like the mascot of a bubble of people. The prom is really celebrity culture, the worship of celebrity culture in America. That's prom, um, but also privilege. But Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't realize why she's being criticized. She thinks everyone's a hater. Oh, they're envious of me because I'm rich or whatever. These superficial ideas they all come from fucking new age and self-help and narcissism. We've been talking about this. We've been circling around this. But a lot of uh, fitness and wellness professionals have transitioned into right-wing to even alt-right you know, fascist punditry. So what's happening here? Why why is there a transition from fitness over to the far right as far as becoming a pundit or a or an influencer or a speaker? I think number one, well the grift is appealing to people, but you know, you can make money as a you know, social media influencer or whatever. But um I think there's some social capital, like there's power in being popular. Um there's power in being a fitness guru of sorts, a wellness guru. Um a lot of the ideas are, already, like I said before, a lot of the ideas are already in fitness and wellness. Like there's a lot of eugenics ideas. Degeneration is very common. So it's easy for people to become grifters or right-wing extremists because the ideas are already circulating within the, 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 the these narratives are popular. Like if you go read any of the fitness guys who do the business coaching, marketing coaching, like it's very easy to see all the eugenics ideas are they're, they're built into it. So I think it's a very easy transition um, for people. So there's a few guys. I can tell you about this whole incredible, like, stupid culture. Like, so one dude recently, um, Elliot Hulse, like, we used to be friends. What? Or even like uh, Cernovich. I, I was, I had a bunch of uh, online community of peers or colleagues or whatever. And a lot of these dudes became Cernovich fans. So the. The one thing is that these ideologues, these people, they're deceptive. They're liars. They're scumbags. And you, this is the most basic, obvious thing. But the other thing is it's very easy to do that, to, to go in that direction when there's already ideas of eugenics and, and degeneration or whatever already popular within fitness wellness culture. So I think it's a lot easier than people recognize. Also, like I said, America is a largely much more right wing than we recognize. Like people, like I said, you know, people think, oh, liberals, like, dude, fucking liberals are fucking terrible. You know, like it's a lot. The culture is a lot more moved to the right than what we believe to be center left right politics. Like it's a little bit already biased to the right. So I think a lot of these ideas are reactionary in nature. Um and so it's just easy. It's easy. But also look at what happened in the last few years. These are bad people. Like they're fucking, um, they're the, 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 the gurus like Jordan Peterson and whatnot. They gave these dudes who were already aggrieved, already shitty dudes with bigotry that they have not examined. These ideologues just gave them an excuse to, to be open about their bullshit. So there's a lot of deceptive, um, stuff going on with the gurus and the the, the ideologues or the, the the movement towards right-wing culture but there's very specific people who did very specific things they use propaganda and they're developing a culture community because they get a following and you get more power and you also get more money so elliot Hulse, we were he was a kind of a check guy for a while too but all these ideas are in eugenics and new age and self-help and in fitness a lot of these are 
I, you know, bad ideas already embedded in these 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 cultures. So it's very easy. So when there's some a bunch of vulnerable young men in fitness and some ideologue who's already successful comes along and says, hey, do this, believe this, do that. It's very easy. Also, look at the big picture. The the Like I was saying with new age spirituality, what we were saying about the, the new age stuff, spiritual stuff, like it provides something that's lacking. So it provides a community. It provides an ideology. It provides an identity. Uh, it, it, it provides a target for you to, to fucking direct your hate or your bigotry what trump did in the last few years was he just made it all okay to be open or vocal about it you know like all these fitness models these are sectarian groups they're very similar but they all believe that they're smarter than the other one right they all got that absolute truth they they're it's a, essentially a bunch of denominations of one religion and that religion is natural wellness or whatever natural health so that's why they could kind of argue with each other sometimes very heatedly about workout shit or diet shit. And most of it's completely unnecessary. Almost <laughs> all of the nutrition debates are just circle jerking. And again, I used to do it, you know, fight, you know, debate about carbs and sugar. It's all bullshit. There's nothing wrong with food. The wellness ideology is demonized food. There's nothing wrong with fucking food. Shut the fuck up. You, know, you look at the way people talk about carbs and sugar, and it's obscene. It's fucking the most ridiculous stuff ever. There's nothing sinful or toxic or addictive. No. That's rhetoric. That's exaggerated ideas built into diet culture because diet culture comes from a fucking religious extremist culture. So the ideas are already there. They've been there for a hundred fucking years. There's nothing wrong. There's no fucking food that acts like that. These are not hard street drugs, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Anyone that says it, anybody that, that compares sugar to a street drug is a fucking idiot, dude. That's the dumbest. <laughs> and we have good data on this, but here's the thing. If you've ever spent any time with um, addiction or alcoholism or eating disorders, then these are exaggerated claims based on demonizing foods because they believe foods have power. These foods don't. You want to know something interesting? Sugar is can you can use sugar therapeutically. It can improve your performance. It can help you with your 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 overall health and well being. It can reduce stress hormones. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with sugar, but people are living in exist, existential fear of food from diet culture, and it's fundamentally bad. It's unhealthy. So if y'all are listening to this, you you really do not. All of these ideas about food, almost all of them. Almost all are absolutely 100% totally fucking unnecessary. And all it does is keep you in these cycles of capitalism. You're going to continue to buy shit for twenty next 20 years because you think this food is special or super or magical. It's all fucking bullshit. And it also damages your mental health too. Absolutely. The, the people think that wellness is healing. Dude, the healers are the biggest, some of the biggest fucking flakes and fucking bullshit artists out there. People don't seem to recognize this. Like if you have mental health issues you need to be careful with the stuff because there's a million ways to get into stuff that is nothing but perfectionism right and not only that but like there are cycles these are cycles of capitalism like you binge purge you learn that food's bad you avoid it well you're gonna fucking binge on it on the weekend but then you feel bad and guilty about the binging so then you start a new program next week these are cycles of binge and purge of, of hardcore capitalism boom and bust cycles yeah and it's all built into the ideology it's not healthy. So again, yes, you can work out and have some of you can have transformations, no doubt. You get into strength training or, you know, you learn how to fight or whatever, it can be very it can be empowering. You know what I mean? 
But um, it's not the only thing that happens. There's multiple things that can happen. And there's a whole shit ton of bad ideas embedded in all of this stuff. <clears throat> and look at that dude. What's that dude? The chiropractor who works with MMA guys? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Okay. There's one dude who uses the hammer and chisel. Oh, there's a bunch of them that do that now. Okay. So that's 100% performance art. That's theater. You understand? <laughs> that's fucking theatrics. Um, to- fully unethical. But. A lot of those dudes are probably sincerely trying to help. They believe in the stupid ideas or the, the pseudoscience ideas. They're sincerely trying to help. So anyone with good intentions can still pick up a lot of bad ideas. But the whole idea, all the ideas around food, most of them are, are actually really bad. There's nothing wrong with sugar or carbs. Shut the fuck up with that stuff, dude. Please, for the love of God. There, very, very, very few people can benefit from low-carb diet. And if you can, great. That's fucking great. But shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. No one asked you. So the idea of promoting a fear of carbs, fear of sugar. No, you know what that is, dude? That's fear of pleasure. You understand what I'm saying? These are religious issues. You know, people are living fear of pleasure because these are puritanical fucking religious issues. So the fear of sugar and carbs, that's just you know, fear of pleasure. Um, and pleasure challenges these aesthetic uh, or the, 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 the like, you know, ascetic self-control, puritanical religious notion of wellness. So, anyways, you can eat cheesecake and shut the fuck up, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> People think that having the, all these restrictions and rigid rules and polarized thinking is like health and wellness. It's not, dude. It's totally not. So, people need to understand that most of the nutrition stuff is mostly navel-gazing and um, unnecessary ideas based on restricting and fear of pleasure. So, yeah, eat food and and and. Learn to enjoy food like a normal person. Look how everyone around the world eats, except for Americans. And there <laughs> you got a lot of answers there. One key takeaway as far as uh, taking care of yourself is just work out, but don't adopt the eugenics of wellness culture. Yeah, it's not yeah, true, but it's not easy for people to see. Strength training is the number one. I've been in this industry over 20 years. Strength training is the most consistently um, important. It works every single fucking time. Strength training. That's the number one most important thing. Yeah, it's important for people to exercise. We need to get more people exercising, yada, yada, yada. Strength training works, dude. Um, and in terms of food, if people start with the idea, it's kind of humbling, but if you start with the idea that most of these ideas are bullshit, it's liberating. And then you start to be skeptical and understand that most of these ideas are bullshit, unnecessary, unhealthy. And the more you embrace these restricted ideas about food, that are mostly based in, you know, eugenics purity ideas, um, you're not liberated. You're not free. That is what anti-colonial politics is called, liberation politics. Because the whole point is to be liberated and not have white supremacy hold you down all the time and not only physically oppress you, but oppress you with their social norms, right? Yeah. And, <clears throat> and these things are powerful. They're very, you know, there's a lot of pressures in society and you know, look up. I think it's important to look. You know, look at the history of wellness or fitness culture. If you're interested, not everyone's interested in this, but you know, look up. Like, especially if you're into training, um, or MMA stuff or whatever. Look up like Red Vienna. Look up the 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 48ers. Um, learn about eugenics because it's 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 actually not making a resurgence right now. It actually has always been around. It never fucking went away. Um, so um, understand eugenics, um, because that helps explain a lot of this stuff. All right, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me and the listeners. So uh, where can people find you online? 
my blog is I haven't blogged for a while, but I have new stuff coming out. Like I said, I used to do Evil Sugar Radio. I might bring back Evil Sugar Radio because it's a great punk rock logo and a great name. Um, but my blog is Urban Antonio. My Twitter is Urban Antonio. Twitter is all politics. Facebook is kind of just fun stuff. A little bit of politics, but Twitter is um, very political. But um, and Instagram is unrelated. Is this is like pictures of me when I ride my bicycle and shit. Um, but um, I have new stuff coming out, and it all that'll all be on my blog and whatever it's going to be called, like the history of wellness or something like that. Like it'll be on my blog, and I'll start promoting it soon. I'll get back online and start promoting stuff. And I want to teach people some of this stuff. Like there's like all of wellness and health and fitness is very ethnocentric um ideology right there's an ideological monoculture and people don't realize that they're trying they're learning this stuff but you're imposing it on other people and now you have like people learning like oh you know i didn't eat organic chicken breast oh that's dangerous that's bad like people are learning anxieties that they don't fucking need and that's a problem and standards that they can't keep up they don't need to so i think understand take a critical approach understand number one thing about wellness health and nutrition and fitness stuff not the training stuff, but all the other stuff is that it's safe to assume it's you start with the idea that it's probably a whole bunch of bullshit. If you start with that assumption that there's a whole bunch of bullshit here and you're skeptical, it's very easy to, 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 to take away the bullshit or to, to deconstruct or debunk the bullshit and just do a few simple basic things. You'll be fine. All right, cool, man. I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bro. We'll talk soon, man. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, Every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show and will help us expand with more content on more platforms. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.